everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast, where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. My name is Brian Vitali, and if you've listened to the podcast so far this year in 2022, you'll know that we've had kind of a rotating uh, cast of participants on the podcast. And I think this time, uh, here we are, halfway through February, we've got pretty much everyone that's shown up on the podcast so far this year has all made it back here today. So a little bit of a bigger crew. Let's go through them. W- welcome back, Josh Torres. One of the craziest weeks of my life. We've got Jess Reyes. Hey again. Uh, Adam Vitale. Hello. James Galizio. I played nothing but MMOs this week. And Chow Min Wu. How's it going? Welcome, everyone, to this TetraCast. This is going to be a surprisingly jam-packed episode, uh, as it is whenever there's a week where we have a surprise Nintendo Direct, because those are always announced, like, what, a day and a half in advance? So you listen to our last podcast, uh, the first one in February, and it was a shorter cast. We talked about Arceus. We talked about a few other news bits. Uh, little did we know that we would, a few days later, have a deluge of news from a Nintendo Direct to talk about this week. And on top of that, there's a few games that we also want to talk about as well as we get into what we've kind of been anticipating from the previous month all the stuff's coming out in february all the stuff's coming out in february well it seems like we're at the we're at the crescent of of that call coming to fruition as a bunch of games start to release or we start to get our hands on some uh pre-release access to things that we're trying to queue up as we go into kind of the main part of the year uh one of the major games that wasn't really on my radar but it seems to have taken kind of the gaming world by storm is lost ark so i know we'll have a few people on uh, the podcast to talk about that when we get into the games talk section. Uh, before we do, though, we do have a few features up on the site that I do want to talk about that kind of round out a few of the things that we had discussed in the previous weeks. Uh, we've obviously spent the last two weeks talking with uh, James and Jess, and then Adam and I had kind of started last week talking about Pokemon Arceus, obviously probably the biggest release of January. Uh, we're not going to probably spend too much of the podcast time talking about that today, but I did also just want to shout out that Jess did publish her formal review for Pokemon Arceus up on the site. Now, if you've listened to the last two episodes, you've probably heard Jess and us kind of talk about our impressions with the game. But Jess, did you just want to kind of talk about what your ending conclusion was when you wrote up your, your formal review for Arceus? Oh, my ending conclusion was the gameplay is like the big part that stands out about it because, you know, they basically imp- renovate, I mean, revamp uh, the turn-based combat. They add new ways to interact and engage with Pokemon. Um, yeah, there's some frame rate issues and I know people are always slamming the graphics, but honestly, some of it looks fine. It's just like, you know, if you if your Pokemon is glitching into trees and kind of flying sometimes, it's kind of hard to throw the Pokeball. I like the part uh, of your review that's like on a fl- unidentified flying Pokemon and it's a, it's a Machop. I can identify oh, it, but, but it's Machop, even, but it shouldn't be flying. Yeah, there's actually, I saw way crazier ones on Twitter that I couldn't find. Like there was someone that's like their Machop, there's like, I think it was an alpha Machop that was like literally flying right above them and it was just captioned, oh, hello. <laughs> And and one major part of your review was basically just kind of saying that the story, I mean, it's a Pokemon game. And I think we talked about it briefly on podcast last week where it's like, yeah, it's there. Uh, yeah. Not much more I to mean, say when I that, thought maybe. about it. I mean, when I thought about it, I was like, well, 
you know, it's Pokemon, so it's not that great. But I was like, well, I should stay, still say that it's not that great. Um, I feel like they had some potential going for it, but the way it wrapped up was not really that satisfying to me. I thought that the last bit of the game, like once you once you explore all the regions, uh, once you kind of get that loop out and it's just kind of like straight battles from there to the end and through the post game, that's kind of when that kind of lost me. But obviously, uh, go ahead and read Jess's review if you're interested and uh, or listen to the last few episodes of the podcast. We've got timestamps for our two sessions of Pokemon Arceus discussions. Surely this is one of those games that... I just, will just wait for the Switch Pro, uh, just like Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. Just another one on that pile. You, you, I'll touch you maybe when the Switch Pro comes out. And, maybe? Uh, for a split second, this is how dumb my brain is. I'm like, or maybe we can okay. just be like Triangle Strategy and wait for it to come to PC. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> it's a Pokemon <laughs> game. Yeah, yeah, Pokemon on PC would be pretty nice. That'd be pretty great, actually. I'm uh, go for I'll, it. Go, I'll go boot up Temtem again or something. I don't know. Coromon. Well, what's the other one that's coming out? Um, There's a lot of them. Coromon's yeah. coming out. Pearl, yeah, the Pearl Abyss one comes to my mind. Oh, Dokovi. Yeah, there we go. We do also have two other features up on the site that I want to give shout outs to. Uh, we got a freelance preview on Elden Ring. So we've already had a few different discussions on Elden Ring based on James and uh, Josh's time on the, with the stress test or whatever they formally called it. Uh, but we also had a freelancer, Amy. What's her last name? I'm sorry. Amy Eastland was able to go with uh, on, hands on with Elden Ring with a six hour preview that we got up on the site. And obviously, that is probably the big release for the end of February that we're hoping to get our hands on soon. But get, we're able to get at least one person hands on to give us a, you know, a, a look ahead on what to expect for that. So give that a give that uh, a read if you're interested. I know this might sound a little bit silly, but are any of us do any of us know Amy either personally or professionally? Oh or no? yeah, actually, I introduced her to Alex. I met her from oh. the start menu, um, which is a small, uh, it's just as a small student, mostly student publication where oh, okay. lots of games journalists start. So she's a beginner, but I think she has potential. So I was like, hey, I could let Alex know that you're interested and. I don't know what exactly they discuss Elden Ring, but I guess it happened at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so first of all, I know Alex kind of Alex being our basically who runs the site. He wants to do more of this sort of freelancer stuff. You know, we're in terms of we don't really have like the operational like coordination to do a lot of freelancing stuff. But he wants to do more of it. So that's kind of where this opportunity arose. But I believe what this was, was Vonda Nameco did and they've done this before. They did like a streaming preview where uh, you basically like you stream basically a preview version of the game from a Bondi name co computer in UK or something. Um, and then she basically participated in this event and wrote up her thoughts on it. And that's what the previews this week that popped up, you know, uh, and other, at other sites, that's what, that's what it's based off of is this sort of preview event. So and Alex and was able know, to have Amy write for us. George was able to do that too with a Bandai name co. Yeah. So, uh, the, the, they did that with tails and also with Scarlet Nexus too. So you know it works. Yeah, that, that's so. what uh, game preview streaming is. It's cloud versions of the game. <laughs> now I'm imagining someone like playing a cloud version of the cloud version of Kingdom Hearts or something like that. I don't know. And the last feature up on the site uh, that I want to give a shout out right now is that we were able to get a kind of a question and answer interview with the with Gust for the upcoming. This is kind of an under under the radar February release. Uh, Atelier Sophie Two, the Alchemist of the Mysterious Dream. 
was releasing like in the same week as Elden Ring and uh, the last week of February. So uh, Paige Chamberlain was able to uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Adam. She was able to just uh, submit questions to, to Gust to kind of get answered on that after she had also played a preview portion of the game. So it's kind of Paige just had the opportunity to both uh, kind of get a conversation with the developers as well as uh, go hands on with Atelier Sophie, too. I actually think some of the questions that he returned were pretty, you know, pretty thorough. Um, sometimes with these sort of like ad hoc, like email interviews, sometimes they're just kind of just like bullet point, like they, they basically press release sort of, you know, yeah. like here's what the game is. But I, th- I feel like he gave some good answers about like why did we go back to Sophie and um, what do you think about, you know, one of Paige's questions was like. How do you kind of rely uh, revolving around like how do you evolve the series, especially a series like this that kind of you know has a release every year or so? But I think it's it's a pretty good interview, pretty good uh, you know just set of question and answers. So check it out if you're an Atelier fan. And it's also, a shame that uh, uh, Sophie two and Elden Ring don't release on the same day, so we couldn't get any cool collab fan art <laughs> of like Sophie and like Elden Ring dude hanging out. Uh, but yeah, it's just I'll. A little bit of a this is not really a secret, but sometimes we submit these questions and answers, and then what we get back we don't like and we just don't publish. Like that has yep. happened. So the fact that we I've done that with this... ne- I did that with Neo too. I sent some questions, and then the answers I got back were basically just like like the fact the sheet or the store stuff. page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like regurgitated. And I'm like, they might as well just say they might as well just like answer. It's like we assure you, it's a very good game. You will like it. <laughs> and then that's all you have to answer. And sure enough. It was a very good game, and I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> we we think it's great. Also, we made it and want you to buy it. <laughs> so we, all, we always we always try to avoid that. But yeah, but yeah, these atelier questions I think are actually pretty good. The answers, I mean, nice. And then, of course, we always also have a bunch of the Arceus guides are still uh, being clicked through on our site, as well as I think Andrea put up a, a Valentine's Day event guide for Final Fantasy XIV. So those are up on the site if you happen to be playing those games still. And now, without further ado, I am going to hand the reins over to Josh, who has oh, quickly... <laughs> well, Josh is like, I'm not ready. Oh, God. I mean, you've, you've played the most of Lost There's a lot Art. of pressure. Um, it's here, uh, after releasing in Korea in, I think 2018, I, I, I could be wrong. It's been a few years. Um, Lost Ark has finally released in the West. It's, uh, it's the first MMO I've touched. If you consider Fantasy Star Online 2 as an MMO, then maybe that kind of counts, but I didn't really play much of that. But it's like the first MMO I've touched since like the first month of A Realm Reborn. You didn't play um, New World? Did not play New World. It's crazy, I know. I, I've only I heard play, really I good played, things. I played like thirty hours of the preview of New World, and then I just never got around to it. Um, yeah, I've I've I reached almost forty hours into Lost Ark, and it only released for early access on Tuesday. So it's kind of consumed my life um, for a good bit. I, I'm only on the lower end compared to some friends. Some friends already have like seventy hours into it, you know. So it's kind Maybe. of surreal that like i remember lost ark was like originally announced i know mmos just take a long time to make right yeah. but lost ark was originally announced in like 2014 like yeah. eight years ago um for korea and yeah. then it got like a korean like beta test like in 2017 or something like that so three years later and then it released so it's been in it's been out in korea and i think also russia um for a few years right 
for some reason, yeah, it feels yeah. like Russia get, kind of gets early yeah. access to some yeah, of these Korea, Russia, Japan are the three regions it's been out on before. The, but now it's in, now it's in English and a few other languages too. Yeah, it's and a worldwide. Lot of, it's like a lot of languages, and like it's and then it, mm-hmm. pretty much the entire world has access to it. Besides, like the Netherlands and Belgium, because of like laws, like gotcha loot box laws, I believe. Sorry, Belgians. Um, yeah, um, I it's. I don't. I kind of. I don't know where to even start. Uh, it's a. Uh, what type of so, like I I've seen you play a little bit of this, but it looks yeah. like it's sort of like an online. Like I'm thinking about like gameplay and almost like perspective. It's like a kind of like an online Diablo-ish Korean MMO yeah, RPG. A, yeah, isometric action RPG, much like that. Your Diablo, Path of Exile, Grim Dawn, all those sort of games that like have that classic isometric uh, viewpoint. Um, it's not as like as super fast paced as like how Path of Exile or Diablo can be. Like it, it is mm-hmm. on the slower side, but it's more deliberate. Uh, it's not just a, it's not just a like a clicker like in Diablo. Yeah. Some people yeah. criticize Diablo as you're just clicking everywhere. Yeah, no, the, the, this one, this one is slightly more like uh, you feel a little more it. more sluggish. It feels more like playing League, I would say. You know how your character yeah. moves. Yeah, like a, like for example, like there'll be um, like bosses in the game, and then they they telegraph their attacks on like on the ground, like say, "Hey, attacks the attacks about to come out. Here's like a, a red cone, and then like you should try to get out of the way of this attack." And like how the movement is set up in the game is like most of the time. If you can try to like run out of it, but you always always have like a or most classes have a like a like an emergency like dodge button. Like I play as the sorceress, and she has like a teleport button. And like if I'm like if I'm too far out to like get out of that red damage zone, I can use that, and then it'll be like a ten second cooldown. Um, so does so- it does it have like the a pretty you know like what what sort of like character creation like class and race? Yeah. Like- is it pretty typical or so so the game is divided up into five uh like base classes and this is like your warrior your mage your martial artist your assassin and i, f- I forgot the other one off the top of my head uh, there and then and then each of these classes uh have like uh a variable number of subclasses beneath them like uh, at the start like for the western version like the Western release has less classes than Korea and Russia. Like we're missing some classes that are already present in those. Like, because we're like, getting been... like we're getting like the game as of like year two of its original release. We don't quite have everything up to date from the Korean client. Oh, like it, it's a, it's a mixed bag uh, in that sense where we, we don't have, have all, the like raid tier right or something like that. We have the current tier three gear, but we don't have all the raids like the Argos raid, for example. Uh, is coming next month, and that's already been out in those other territories. And then there's other like, it did, like our version's like it's like a weird mishmash because sorceress is one of the newest classes in those regions. Like the one of the like the newest class in there in those regions are, are is artist, but before artist came sorceress, so that's still very brand new. Wait, artist is the class. Yeah, artist is a class. And she <laughs> looks really cool to play. Um, kind of like that. Kind of like a, a weird take on like a bard or something. Yeah, she's like a debuff class, I believe. But um, but Summoner was like I think one of the launch classes were very close to launch, and that was that was originally available in like the closed beta of this game. But then for some reason, and no one really knows why, they swapped out Summoner for Sorceress instead for the launch release. And then for the content that we have in the game, uh, the the it's like there's. They're referred to as tiers in the other releases where you have tier one endgame gear, 
that you build up, and then after you get through tier one endgame gear, you go to the next uh, tier of tier two gear, and then so forth, upgrade that, go through endgame content, and then get you get tier three gear. So that's where we're at. We're like halfway through tier three on that like upper upper end game spectrum that i'm not even at yet i'm still in the middle of well, tier yeah, one. And, and instead yeah. of starting like i, I know yeah. like that was yeah. kind of a requisite conversation because yeah. we're talking about like what version of the game we currently have exactly but like if i'm logging into the game for the first time and i'm obviously just going to experience the, the leveling and the progression yeah like just just is it very very story based is it more like mission based just kind of like paint the picture about like i'm logging in i created my character now how, I, uh, how does the game unfold uh, I would actually uh, want to hear uh, uh, um, James's and Chow's thoughts on that because they're going through the the current leveling process to level fifty. I mean, I'm past that. I can give more uh, concrete thoughts, but I want to hear their experience since they're in the middle of that right now. I will say that the questing is pretty bad, but the leveling experience is actually pretty is decent. Like there's, I'm, I'm sitting here location. like folding my arms, like substantiate that. How can the questing be bad, but the leveling be good? <laughs> there is good pacing. The story isn't amazing. It's not like, I mean, 14 story is like kind of. It's, it's a high bar. It's an, well, yeah, would it's you, an, okay, would you say what do you like? Like, let's compare this like El Realm Reborn story, right? Because you're starting with a base story. Like, if you if you're if you're like trying to give like, is it like kind of. Like the current level, like in my opinion, like leveling through the game is like kind of not the worst part about it, but it's like it's cool seeing it for the first time with this these big set piece moments. But for me, the the real interesting content to me personally in the game is the the all the activities that open up once you reach level fifty. Yeah, and I game. haven't reached that yet. What I will say is that um, the way the story works, it kind of reminds me of like Final Fantasy three, where it's like a bunch of little disjointed things that are loosely tied together. It feels like. <laughs> um. So, for example, like you start off and it's just like, OK, you're in a bog standard, like starting. Well, where do I even start with the story? <laughs> it is so like, yeah, because like even before the story begins, there's already a shitload of lore behind it and whatnot. And I, I'll just sum it up as like, hey, you eventually like you're the, the basic, basic, basic premise of the story is there's this demonic invasion happening throughout the world. And in, his, in the history of this world, there are these ancient artifacts called arcs. And like these arcs, uh, once uh, reunited together, will give humans like the power they need to drive back the demonic invasion. And so, you need to find the lost one. Exactly. You need to find all the arcs are lost. So you need to go find them. And they're spread out through oh. uh, different Wait, continents multiple? throughout the entire why, why, world. Why aren't we lost arcs? Uh, well, you know, you know how ancient legends go. Like after it's been used, like it's, it's, it's like the Dragon Balls. Like, oh, once you've used it, they all spread out across the oh, world. Okay. Once again, so that's my basic understanding of the story after like mashing through it uh, a lot. And I'm imagining um, a Dragon Ball. But, but, but like, but like in each of the continents, they have like their problems, their own set of problems. They, they ha tackle different themes, different topics. They have like their own set of characters, and like there's like political drama and personal drama, and your standard like you know MMO stuff. And like, and as James was saying, like the actual quest design itself isn't that great throughout the leveling process because a lot of it's like you know go here talk to this person they might have you go kill this amount of like things or go gather fucking rats asses for them and oh, i was watching you everything. earlier today and it was literally kill five rats or 15 rats or yeah whatever. yeah we'll yeah. get into that later <laughs> but yeah but the pacing is good which is why i said that while the um 
questing is definitely not amazing. The actual like leveling experience is a brisk pace. And oh, even but- if the story isn't amazing, it's engaging enough to keep you going, especially when it I've been surprised at how well it handles scale when it really wants to. Like I remember the first like major, major dungeon, the Morai Ruins, like the way that they opened it up and how it like really started uh, pushing itself um, forward. I I was impressed because up until then, like the first two dungeons, well, first two, uh, first two required dungeons were pretty standard affair. I feel like for an MMO, like early game dungeon, then they were like, okay, we're going to uh, really get going now. Yeah. I I don't know if you've reached the point, like um, there's like, there's a really big uh, cinematic set piece moment that involves a siege on a castle. Uh, I don't I don't know if you've reached that yet, but that's like the point where it's like, damn, they really know how to fucking handle scale in this game because you'll 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 see this really big siege with like a shitload of troops on the ground, like laying uh, like trying to siege this castle. And then when someone told me, hey, by the way, this game is built on Unreal Engine three, and like and like it was all still smooth and stable at that point, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. There's no way, <laughs> you know. But yes, the, this entire game is built on Unreal Engine three and. Uh, to people who don't know what that is, that's like Gears of War one era, PS three three sixty era. It, it, it uh, is kind of weird that like we've had such a good run with Unreal Engine four and five. Like three was the era of like terrible pop in and like stutter or whatever, but apparently yeah. it's not the case here. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't know it, how they it looks it. really really good for an MMO. And I guess the one thing I do want to say, well, first off, actually, I've I've gotten the boat, so I mean, I'm pretty decently into the leveling experience. I think i'm like halfway through the story because once you get the boat it kind of slows down the leveling a bit because you got a bunch of different locations you can go to yeah and 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 for people who's like hey like do i really have to bother like you know with like all side content on the way it's like uh like if you just want to like hey you want to get to experience like uh (laughs) what what, what the end game activities look like like it's, it's not like a big big like time sync because like if you just follow the main story quests on their own and just mainline it you'll you'll get there naturally you'll reach it you don't have to do like anything side on the way to that like it but that but you should play it at your own pace play it at the way that makes you feel comfortable so like, granted oh, you'll want to eventually do as much as side content as you can because of roster levels eventually but that's a long long-term goal that's the yeah. thing like if you're if you're if you're like because um let's explain roster level a little bit there's two there's two levels. There's your character level, obviously, and then roster level is something you accrue over time that like uh you'll gain like passive stats through like your entire roster of characters. So you make an alt and like you have a and you have like roster level 13, and that gives you like 13 vitality, 10 intelligence, 10 strength, etc. Like it'll apply that to that character and all the other alts that you make for that character. So, so here's a quick question since I yeah. haven't actually leveled my alt yet. I'm waiting to get my main to well. Mm-hmm quote-unquote main to 50 do you have to do the story again if you do a power pass or Uh, no uh uh after you reach 50 and then you complete like a certain like thing in the main story quest they'll give you a power pass for free and then you consume that power pass and then you can use it at the character selection menu and then that'll uh level that all to 50 and have it complete all the main story quests up until the end of uh, a continent called Shushire. And then that, that means they'll have their base um, item level 302 gear at the, that's their starting point. So 
they can immediately start doing chaos dungeons, guardian raids, um, and, and you know start funneling materials for, uh, into like your main for for them to upgrade. So that's kind of do do other MMOs have like a system like that where you can kind of just like have an alt just sort of skip to I don't know if you call it end game, but like skip to basically skipping well, well, there, there's almost all always at content. least like a, a level booster in a shop that you can buy but that's not quite the same yeah Isn't it's a, a little different for lost ark you have to be, see the story first before they let you buy the skip so the the, the you can you only for the first time like in our in our version of the game the, the the first character you do the main story stuff and then after you get to the end of shushire that content that main story content you'll get a, a gear set that has item level 302 and that power pass you consume that po- power pass actually you don't you, you get the power pass a little bit earlier than that but you consume that power pass and once you apply it to a, an alt character say i have a sorceress as a main and i have a scrapper as an alt the scrapper is one of the classes subclasses in the game so i i use that power pass on the scrapper when i use that power pass on the scrapper it does several things one it gets their level to 50 Two, it auto-completes all the side quests that give a skill potion as a reward. So so you don't have to do those side quests on your main because if you use that power pass, that those skill points are applied to the entire roster of your so account. So it's almost, it's almost like the skill point system in that way is indirectly an account unlock. You get it once in your first character yeah. and well, you don't have to worry about been, it again. I've been I, I, doing those uh, side quests because they actually seemed interesting enough. With yeah, if the... you want to see them, that's fine. Yeah, there's no if you if you think they're interesting and they're worth doing, go for it. You know, because that like th- don't spoil yourself on the experience. If you want to, if you want to see them, go for it. Well, it um, that just this generally, if I'm understanding it properly, it seems pretty smart in terms of like being able to have more than one character sort of at like a some sort of you know playable point rather than having to kind of have to go through the whole main intro introduction to the story multiple times over yeah so uh, yeah i'm gonna get to more to more of it so and then uh three like i mentioned earlier you're that that uh character you use a power pass on they get their item level 302 gear that's kind of like the let's call it the quote-unquote start of your end game progression that's like the base equipment that you want on them uh to to start it so that's and so now they can like do the dailies and then those dailies uh, reward you with mats that you can funnel those mats into your main so they have more mats to play around with to upgrade them to push more end game content. Um, and then and for our version of the game, for the Western version, upon consuming that first power pass, you're immediately given a second power pass to give on a second character uh, on that. On top of that, there's also uh, a function in the stronghold system that you eventually unlock and throughout the main story, you get your own stronghold and it's kind of like your housing system. You can customize it the way you want. It has like different functions for t- several systems in the game. Uh, one of those functions is called knowledge transfer. And knowledge transfer is basically you spend 600 gold that you uh, acquire, uh, accrue through the game doing uh, you know dailies, uh, weeklies, um, selling stuff in the auction house for gear that you don't need. Uh, and all sorts of stuff. Um, you spend 600 gold, and then it'll level a character to 50 in eight hours passively. So it's just like you you spend the 600 gold to go level a character for eight hours, and you don't have to worry about it. And then that's so right off the bat, you can have like two to three alts at fully at level 50, ready to go if you want them to do dailies to funnel more mats into your main. 
for them to upgrade to have more mats to upgrade their gear because upgrading their gear will raise item level and item level is kind of like the bare power level um key to push like higher Gear tiers score. of endgame yeah essentially so say like i want to take on level four of the chaos dungeon but level four requires 420 item level it's like okay i can use this main to like you know push that gear score to unlock that and just because you have like um let's let's say i have like 800 item level and i want to like do this like lower tier um thing that doesn't mean that like those things are like less dangerous like those things can still fuck you up even though you may have better gear because this game is really all about the skill of the player and learning boss mechanics so does it like scale you back down to like some sort of normal normalized level like if you're if you have a gear score of 800 and you're doing a dungeon that requires like 500 i don't think it's tuned in a way where it's it's just tuned in a way where it still feels meaningful and you're not just a god walking through like stopping exactly yeah i don't think it's because it's it's still you still you still have to do the boss mechanics and play by those rules because there'll be like you know some maybe some instant skill uh, instant kill mechanics let's say like oh there's like let's say there's like a boss that stacks like a debuff on you and if it's uh gets a, a a debuff off on like what are your uh raid uh party it'll do like an instant kill attack on all of you like that's not something you can just like push through through the gear yeah, you still have to I've, I've, yeah do, i've got, uh, I've got mechanic. 800 000 hp now i'm good nope instant death is still instant death yeah you some of these, some of these conveniences mechanics. that you're talking about like the power packs and the passive leveling like I can't, like I don't know this for sure. Maybe you do, but it sounds like to me like that might have been stuff that was like introduced over time in the original launch, and then they kind of like got filtered in as the game. I don't, I don't know. Life. I'm yeah. sure that it's some of it was there at launch because you have to remember this is a free to play Korean MMO. Well, that's yeah, why I, I would think if it's a free to play MMO, they would be less incentivized to convenience the player. Like they would be like, you wanna, you wanna you level up a second character. Uh, that's what i was wondering like you want to get a second character then you better uh pay five bucks for a booster or or something yeah did like a lot of this right now like the power pass stuff like the, the two power passes i think that's only for our version like from the get-go because they want they want to have a very good good first impression on the game and make it and and, and like you know make it so that like it's very fair to like people who want to play for free like the only thing uh you pay for in the game really is like pay for convenience in the sense that like hey if you want your pet to be like an external storage for you or like have access to your storage like just from your pet instead of going to the npc in town that does it for you or like um paying a very very small silver fee that you get thousands of in the like normally in the game like if you have if you have like this crystalline aura uh on you that that'll make uh fast travel for free instead of paying for this very minimal silver uh cost they've, to crash travel yeah they've also like made some changes to the western version that very explicitly is meant to be more palpable for uh players like um in from what i understand in the uh non-western release in order to have your pet automatically pick up by like items for you you needed to have uh the premium sub like the crystalline aura but in this one, anyone that has a pet, it'll just automatically pick them up by default. You yeah, yeah. Is there still a premium sub option in the Western release? Yes. All right. Yeah, it's- like Crystal Aurora is still is still a thing. Like I, I have it on. It's like it's it's nice to have, but it's not like mandatory to have by any means. You know. 
it is interesting oh. with these like free to play and buy to play online experiences. It's like pay for cosmetic. People seem to almost universally be fine with pay to win, obviously the opposite, but then like pay for convenience is always like a fine line because the two games that I've played Guild Wars two and fantasy star online Two, like Guild Wars two has some pay for convenience that I think is like really fine. It's just really just kind of like a nice to have. And then like there's fantasy star online too, where it's like, it's it's more it's more like pay to not be inconvenienced rather than pay for convenience. It's like if you if, if you don't I, pay for anything, you have very little uh, inventory room. You can't use the personal shop. You can't do this. You can't do that. So it's almost like pay to not be you know a second class citizen. So it's always interesting for pay to convenience. You have to really kind of look into like how the game works, what is actually being offered, how much does it cost, can you get it with in game currency or here, whatever. Here's here's the here's the real convenience for uh, if you bought it early with the with the founders pack. I uh, I am on the server of Vesta. I uh, my my server is now closed to the outside world as of like Thursday uh, afternoon in the, in Pacific. So no free to play people can come in for an uncertain amount of time. So I don't ever have to worry about long queues in my server. Wow, to get in. server. I don't I don't I don't, yeah, I don't have to worry. Yeah, I don't have to worry about it being overloaded or whatnot. I can just uh, freely log in whenever I want and not have to worry about a long wait. So that's I guess the... we should mention here that like <laughs> I think as of I think literally right now there's like more than a million 1.3 million yeah, on some, Steam. Like that. It's insane. So, is that yeah, is that, that number one right now? I forget how you where I go to Steam to see what the that, I believe is. it is. Think about it like this. The director's hope for the game before release, before it launched, was he hopes to see two hundred thousand concurrent users on it. That was his hope for the game. Jesus. <laughs> Oh, man. So uh the, the, the yeah, let's go back a little bit on like the classes. Uh this still ha- does have some of those Korean MMO tropes. There are gender lock classes. So like sorcerers, for example, is only and bard are only females. There's no male variant to them. You can't choose them as males. They're they're only females. They uh, the Which is the, really, really fucking funny because there's NPCs who are bards that are dudes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the and the developers Milegate is slowly starting to like make them ungender lock in the sense that they're make, making like male variants. Like the war dancer for class, for example, is female, but then they re- later released the striker class, which is sort of like the male war dancer class. They still have their own unique skills uh, and and play styles, but they're like they're built off of the same framework and like the way they function in a group is still functionally similar. Um, and like uh, the other like gender unlock class is like. The gunslinger is a female, and then the dead eye is a male. Dead eye is the like a male gunslinger, except the gunslinger, she has this unique ability to switch between three weapons on the fly, so like pistol, shotgun, and I think rifle. And so instead of like every class only being bound to eight skills, she has a she's bound to twenty four skills. You know, so uh, all, they all do have their own uh, unique skills for each stance. And she's, and and Deadeye has the same unique gimmick, but he he has he benefits more from like a shotgun uh, back attacks. He has more modifiers for that. So like ge- gameplay variances in that uh, aspect with the uh, gender unlock classes. I do wonder if uh, well, for one thing, obviously the launch at least has been a massive massive success for them. Like I remember like seeing a link going around from like a Korean news site that. Apparently, Smilegate reported that they'd sold over one and a half million founders packs before the like the non early access launch. Oh my god, uh, it was just yeah. insane. 
Yeah, um, I'm I'm guilty of that. I I I, I have. How many founders packs did you buy? Okay, so a friend of mine last November gifted <laughs> me bronze. Okay, he's like, you should go check this game out. I'll gift you bronze, and then you can check out the closed beta. I'm like, all right, thanks, cool. I didn't, I didn't really think about Lost Ark at that time last November. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll check out the closed beta. I was like, okay, this seems like really fun. Um, and then like as release is coming closer, I researched more, and I'm like, okay, um, well, all right, I'll, I'll buy it at gold. You know, I'll buy it at gold. Sure, why not? And then of course they stack. So yeah, yeah, and then. And I told myself, I was like, if I uh, if 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 I get to fifty before the free to play launch, clearly this game has its hooks in me. So if I get there, I guess I'll get platinum. And sure enough, like a day or a day and a half, almost two days before free to play launch, I hit fifty, and I'm like, fuck. <laughs> All right, I'm not. So, a you, bitch. so you have three founders packs. <laughs> three founders packs for my fucking thing. yeah. <laughs> I feel like um so really quick I do just want um for disclosure and whatnot. Yeah. While I did buy a bronze founder pack, we did well I did get a code for a platinum founders pack. I'm assuming it was through Amazon, though Alex was the one that dealt with that. So oh yeah, Alex is here. Uh I'm not, we didn't introduce him yet, I don't think. But uh, he, yeah, he was he was waiting to, to chime in on Elden Ring, but yes, I guess this is a perfect time. Hi, welcome Alex. You're in the middle yeah, of hello. the Ark. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been listening to this MMO chatter with my eyes glazed over. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, but... Look, I was going to ask I, if the, Alex has any interest in this game, but apparently not. <laughs> I, you know, I, yeah, I yeah, my only interest in this game is, is you know, in, in if it's going to have legs from a, from a website perspective, right? It looks like it will, <laughs> apparently. Well, I mean, the yeah. last time we talked about a game having like a million concurrent on Steam was like, what, Cyberpunk? Which did not have legs. So, this is a true. Game, yeah, single, single but 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 that. also I see a lot of I see a lot of parallels between this. And to be fair, right? Um, what was the other one? New World, right? And New World dropped off extremely quickly. So the question is, from my perspective, as someone who is not that partic- that uh, infused to play it, although I did play one of these two games, is is this going to be a New World or is this going to be a Genshin Impact sort of situation? Genshin is around to stay, is a huge success. New World, people are still playing it, but New World was one of these games where I don't think it hit the million mark, but I think 900,000. Seven, Yeah, the eight, 900,000 concurrence, and uh, it is nowhere near that now. So we'll see. And yeah, to answer your question, James, yeah, um, it came through a PR agency that's running PR for that game. And the whole... We probably would have written more about it, but the whole previous situation on that front was a bit messy, where it was like, here's access yeah. to a press server, but then we're going to erase all your progress. And we were like, well, hang on. We don't really necessarily want to do that because people are already playing on public early access servers. Why can't we just have an early access code? And then eventually they came back and just gave us platinum code, which you then used. Yeah. Yeah, and and a little bit of uh, a shame because it's like by the time we got to it, it's like oh well, crap, a bunch of guides were already out. Shit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, I mean, the, like the guides were already out way way long before release because people are playing on the Russia servers. A lot of the English players of this game played on the Russia servers, so they already used like a lot of old guides that are still very applicable today on that. Uh, and and it, like the the game is you you know the game transforms at level 50 like there's there's pre-fifth level 50 uh lost ark which is 
you know, your standard run-of-the-mill amusement park MMO, which is has really cool set-piece moments, but, you know, it's your standard MMO experience, leveling uh, experience. Well, at level 50, things really open up and, like, what uh, activities you're, you can do. It's kind of uh, the world is up is at your fingertips at that point. Like, for me personally right now, like, I'm trying to push my item level up uh, through upgrading gear, and the, the way I'm doing that is traveling to different islands. And th- that's a really cool feature about this game is once you get your ship and you get to level 50, there are all these long, small little islands that uh, in between each continent, as you're selling between each continent, and they're all very different. They're, like, kind of an excuse to have, like, really fun zones in them. For example, uh, earlier today, like, I was, like, on a big cruise liner uh, doing tasks and, like, cleaning up around the cruise liner and at another island. I, it was literally just called Panda Island, and you know what? It was fucking full of pandas. Yeah, you went to Panda world. Island, and then you became a panda. I became a panda. It was so cute and adorable. I could roll. There were some great panda animations, like baby pandas get, getting rolled around by their mom. You, you, you had a dedicated Aww. button for pulling out bamboo and eating it. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I was like, "This is fantastic." There's Game like, of the year. And then like I've seen, I've seen like another island that's like a more like standard sci-fi or not a hor- sci-fi, but like a standard horror experience, like Resident Evil. There's like another island that's like a fucking big dance party of like people just like like discoing at the middle of the island. And it's it's and then there's another one. It's like uh, about etymology and like studying birds. It's like it's 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 really cool just to see like all these different things and like gives variety on what you're seeing and like the tasks that you're doing uh, in there. Like another one was like I was like cleaning up for a pirate pirate den, you know. And that's where uh, uh, Adam saw me killing rats because I was get, getting rid of their uh, pest problem there. Well, that, that seems and, like a fun way to like have to add content to it. They can like literally add islands. Yeah, there, yeah. Island, the island paradigm is a pretty nice one just to have like varied, varied little mini storylines or not or location. Yeah, right. It's just convenient. Just make a new island. Storytelling and also for like a live, a live service game, a way to just add on, at least in principle, mm-hmm. having not played it. I guess I'll just latch on to that. And one of the pre-release videos, uh, I remember talking with Josh uh, late January about I didn't realize that they're going to spend so much time talking about your, your ship building and your, like your crew and all the RPG systems there. So like, yeah, is, is that it, mostly a progression thing or is that mostly end game or does it kind of, you know, straddle both? It, 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 it's, it's, yeah, it's straddling both. Like, for example, like, so, like you'll get uh, some different ships um, throughout the, the game. So like for, to get to Shushire, for example, one of the later continents, they are like, Oh, there's like a block of ice in the way. Uh, go use the storm breaker ship to like break through the ice to access that continent and then there'll be like certain reasons where like the the hazardous waters or like the level of it is too much and like weaker ships can't go through that you have to get through use like more stronger ships to push through that um right now i'm uh i'm at this weird uh really dangerous mindset where the the a cool thing about when you're traveling through ships is you can just set an auto route they can like pull up the map and then press Alt, left click on like an island, and it'll like automatically set a route there and then move. But there'll be times um, became uh, 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 there. Are, there were times throughout like the um, sailing through the ship that like you have a boost gauge and like you press space bar and then you get a, a a boost and then like it'll expend this meter. Then you have to wait for it to fill up and then press space again. And I'm like, okay, well. This is cool, but I have to sit here and like kind of be on top of like pressing space. But there's a a, a a skin for a ship in the cash shop 
where it does that for you. Oh, so it'll, it's 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 pay for com- cosmetics and convenience. It, it it will press spacebar for you in the auto route. And I'm you know like, else can do that? A macro. <laughs> I just have like a a ship boosting <laughs> macro. Well, um, here's here's a question, Josh. Uh-huh. How much does it cost? I have enough crystals to do it. How much does it cost? It's like 400 blue crystals, I think. Oh, that's not mm-hmm. that's nothing. That like what? if you got the bronze founder pack, I think it, you get enough uh, crystals. Can you can you earn crystals by playing? I think so. I believe some. Yes. Josh is just here, like wrestling with himself. Like, do I buy this convenience, or is that does that like? Am I part of the problem? Does that look bad on me? Yeah. Am I like? Am I too far in? If I do that, then I'm like. I'm in too deep. (laughs) So yeah, not uh, not everyone has purchased three founders packs worth of blue crystals or whatever. And then, like you know, there's so much other things to talk about the game that I don't really want to spend the whole podcast because it's easy to talk about this for hours. But I'll just say that the way that like you you use skills in this game is pretty cool, like the skill progression, because the the game really heavily encourages like finding your own play style and finding a set of skills that you're comfortable with using. So this game has free respect anywhere, anytime outside of battle uh, for you to use, and you can even make like custom set. Uh, presets of skills. So, like, if you have a, uh, a skill preset for chaos dungeons and a skill preset for raids, you can like set those up uh, on the fly uh, to use between them. And, uh, and, and when you each skill has like three tiers of modifiers, so the, uh, with the more skill points that you're you put into it. So, say like I have this torrent, uh, a, a water torrent uh, skill, and I put like points into it. I can modify it so it does has more AOE. And it uh, has it. It, uh, it does more damage to uh, mobs that are immune to pushback, and it'll turn it into fire uh, as well as one of the modifiers to do burn damage instead. Now uh, that that can be done with all your skills, uh, on uh, and you can obviously set them all up the way you wanted to, uh, provided you have enough skill points. So that's really cool. Um, there's also like just other modifiers. Uh, on top of them, where you have like you know each each class has like an identity gauge. One, like the mage class has like a skill where she can fa- cast faster by infusing herself with magical energy. I talked about the gunner, uh, the gunslinger, and that I having their own stance skills. Gun lancer has like I, a I do like skill. that they have actual like gameplay mechanics rather than just being purely flavor. Yeah, like each one has yeah. a different way that you play it. I mean, maybe that seems obvious, but there have been some games where it's really just kind of like the flavor of the class, but what you actually execute. Is more or less the same, so I'm glad that doesn't seem to be the case here. Yeah, and 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 for people who are interested in PvP, uh, in MMOs, uh, this is like a really good game for the PvP community. And there, there's already been a lot of like PvP startups and ongoing tournaments for this game in other regions. Because once you hit level 26, which is like just a few hours of the game, and you unlock PvP, and all you want for to do in the game is PvP, then you're set for life because. Once you unlock PvP, everything is standardized in PvP. You know, it doesn't take into account your current level or your ter- current gear. Everything is standardized. All the skill points that you that you want uh, is already available, and you can like customize your own like PvP set build and then go to town. And because all the skills uh, have been tuned for PvP as well, so there's a, each skill has a PVE and PvP like stat spread. So, yeah, so it ends up becoming more about build craft and skill rather than just yeah prepping with like did you did you grind out the gear which is how it should i be. played for a thousand hours so yeah, yeah. you just get yeah, to so look I, more i just assume you get to look more badass <laughs> like yes our skills are normalized but i earned this 
whatever skin that I get to wear. Right, exactly. Or aura. I, I probably had enough blue crystals for this on the catch. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, look, there, there's some really cool, like, like, like some of the cooler things in the game. Like, you know, you didn't, you didn't have to buy from the cash shop. Like, my friend completed an island. He got a fucking Velociraptor as a mouth now. I'm like, uh, where the fuck did you get that? He's like, I don't know. I just did shit. I didn't even remember anymore. <laughs> like, fuck. Um, you know, it's you know, I'll be playing it for a while. I'll probably talk about it again and again in the, in the podcast. Like, uh, more thoughts. Um. Yeah, obviously, my it's, uh, as our, uh, go ahead. I think I was going to say some of the same stuff. Go ahead. I, like my, my final first impressions for now is like it's really, really good. It's worth checking out if like if it even looks a, a smidge interesting to you, and like see like see if it's a game that like you'll enjoy. Like just it's free. Give it a shot. It's uh, it's has some of the most like uh, easy to understand like things once you once you look into them like it's like oh this is how these things work that's a really neat smart idea that has a lot of like things like that in the game and it's very it seems like it has a lot of like convenience both built in and optional like it seems like it's a game that respects your time especially with the way it does with this power packs and things like that yeah i feel like i understand the trepidation and everyone's like well yeah it has huge launch numbers but we'll stick around but it's like at this point, if even 10% of the people that are playing now, like, continue playing six months from now, that's 130,000, like, concurrent players. Right. That would and still be a very healthy population for a Western version of a Korean MMO. Yep. Yeah. So uh, any any uh, final first impressions, uh, James Chow? Um, I'm not at Endgame yet, but I'm excited to hopefully be able to talk about it next week. It's like I'm having a, I'm having a blast with this, and uh, some of my buddies that are uh, hardcore 14 uh, raiders have been having a good time with the uh, Guardian raid so far themselves. So, dude, uh, yeah, before we scale, Guardian raids are exactly like fucking Monster Hunter. Uh, just a very quick uh, rundown: when you get into a Guardian raid with three other players, you're set on this map. You don't know where where the monster is. You have to fire off a signal flare, which is kind of like a paintball in old and Monster you, Hunter, and, and like, you can only um have three faints <laughs> yep you get, uh, so so how this how yeah how this how this works is like there, there's like the carding system and it's like it'll allow you to die three times it's not an instant gamer or the uh, game over the third death but after you uh expend those three revives no one else can revive for the whole mission so that's like kind of like thir- th- third strike this is your final chance to do not die um and uh, uh when you approach the monster it has no health bar just like monster hunter um It'll have a stagger animations, and then if it gets weak, it has a limping animation, and a lot of them sure do lo- look like Monster Hunter monsters. I won't spoil their design or like what what they reminded me of here because I'm sure hey, games if you're, you're, you're going to emulate, emulate the best, I guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very clear. Like Monster Hunter is one thing because hell, there's like animations for the Gun Lancer that are like I remember, I know this animation from Monster <laughs> Hunter. Yep. Like so, the uppercut into a into a showing, it's like that's uh-huh. just straight up your triangle plus a circle, like basic ass rotation in Monster yeah. Runner. Well, you see some of these Monster animations, are like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm really excited for you to check out Guardian Raids and uh, James. You'll you'll get a kick out of it. I was highly amused. I was like, I knew this was kind of like Monster Hunter, but I didn't. I wasn't. I had no idea to what extent it would be like Monster Hunter and. It sure is Monster Hunter, but as an isometric action RPG perspective. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll. I'm, 
Oh, sorry. <laughs> what, what was that, Chow? Oh, yeah, I, I'm sold on the game for sure. Uh, the only thing that doesn't catch my interest right now is just the storyline. I just feel it's kind of disjointed. And it's well, how like, early on are you in? Uh, uh, I, I'm at the siege area, technically. The Lutaria. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Have you actually gotten to the proper siege, or are you... Oh, I've seen the siege. Oh, wow. Yeah. It, yeah it, 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 the transition and all the scenes are epic as hell, but I'm just like not totally sold in the story. A lot yeah, of the characters I, don't really have a I'm, lot I'm of not, dialogue. I'm not going to tell you the story is amazing. I'm, I'm not here to tell you that. Because for me, I, I kind of skipped through most of the story. and like I barely know what the fuck is happening. I just know there's some cool set pieces, uh, pieces in there, and there's some cool environments and locations that you'll see. But like I'm not here to vouch for the story. I'm here to vouch for... The gameplay. Uh, yeah, the gameplay and like the 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 progression. Uh, I'm I'm totally yeah, sold on yeah. the gameplay, but yeah. the storyline is just like uh it's like it just feels like oh this is cool, just throw this in. It's like okay. Like, like, a, like a, the the like the this game, like it definitely like how we mentioned like how Guardian Raids are influenced by Monster Hunter, like there are definitely areas that's like, oh, this is the Final Fantasy Seven era area. This is clearly inspired by Final Fantasy Seven. There's like and, the <laughs> the area I'm in, where you literally shrink down to mm-hmm. be in this one village, it's like, oh, hey, Final Fantasy three, like mm-hmm. literally. Yeah, I mean, you can you can definitely tell that uh, Smilegate are wearing their inspirations on their sleeve. They do; they're not even trying to hide it, and they're not ashamed of it. Yeah, yeah, and that's fine. You know, because for me, I get a kick out of it. I'm just like, yeah, go go for it. Even their mobile game has some kind of similar references, you know? Like, if you're playing Epic 7, you're going from, like, old-school fantasy. Then all of a sudden, this land has robots and all this stuff, and everyone's, like, wondering, what the hell? They were robots? <laughs> you know? It's like, okay. So I'm sure yeah. we'll get plenty more opportunities to talk about Lost Ark. It's hard not to just immediately, you know, unpack this giant MMO that's been going for a few years now. Uh, so I'm sure we'll be revisiting this in the upcoming podcast, especially as James and Chow get deeper into it and maybe other people start uh but i do want to actually uh take some time to kind of go back to a previous topic that we introduced before going into the lost dark and that is about the elden ring previews so not only uh, were we able to have amy uh take a look at the game early uh with the six hour access but alex as well who has now thankfully joined us has had a chance to go hands-on alongside so now we've had uh, a few people on the site that's had a chance to play Elden Ring with a few different contexts with the stress test from late last year and then with the preview test now. So Alex, you can kind of go ahead and tell us what your experience has been with the uh, with your most recent preview access to Elden Ring. Well, um, where to begin? And I'm also just like racking my brain to make sure I don't say anything I'm not supposed to say. Um yeah, I thought I'd sw- swing by, uh, sort of palmed the baby off for a little bit, uh, <laughs> even though I'm supposed to have her tonight, in order to come and talk about this, just because I know there were some people saying in Twitter replies and stuff, looking forward to hearing you talk about it on the podcast, and I knew Amy wouldn't be on, and I knew you guys hadn't done the, uh, the hands-on, so I was like, better try and show up at least for a little while. So, I obviously had played um, probably about 10 hours of the closed network test, so I made a point to sort of try and do different things. So I'll, I'll run you down. Like um, the game starts, there's an opening movie. Oh, as far as I'm not going to talk about any bosses. I'm not going to talk about any specific story beats. I might sort of touch on some side quests that I found, but I am going to talk about locations. So if you're super sensitive to that, um, 
fast forward a bit, I guess. I'm sure we'll, we'll have timestamps. Um, so yeah, I'm sure someone will timestamp when I'm done. But I I am going to talk about locations because I feel like that thing that we can talk about from this hands-on without getting into what I would call sensitive spoilers. But I will right up the top here just talk about how the game opens. Um, so the game opens much the same as many of the Dark Souls games. So there's a cutscene, and then you spawn in a location, and you encounter a really powerful enemy that you totally fight. And there's one of the you know, missed doors. I don't know if they've got a formal name that you can't go for until the enemy's defeated, but obviously the enemy just crushes you, which always raises an interesting question, right? Of what happens if you defeat that enemy? Yeah, if, if you're you that person good. who has perfect, yeah, who has perfect parry and stuff and grinds that enemy down. But then basically you die. And after that, that is the point at which the closed network test started, where you sort of wake up in that cave and you have the cave of knowledge and which is basically the tutorial area and you make your way out of the cave of knowledge open the big double doors in that classic souls animation and you're in the open world specifically you're in the area called lynn grave so i basically decided i i know where the game wants you to go it wants you to go up storm hill and up to storm vale castle um, and to fight market the fell so i was like I'm not going to do that because I did that in the closed network test. I'm just going to pick the opposite direction and go as far as I can go. I'm imagining so, you like crossing your arms Pingu style and be like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm going this way. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's yeah. We want to see, right. we want to see yeah. new stuff. Right. So like, so I got to the bonfire or oh, the site of grace that's at the bottom of storm Hill. And then obviously storm Hill is to the North Stormvale castle is to the North. And once you go into the castle, you have the fight against market, the fell and that leads into, itself i was like right i'm not going there i'm going south so i went south all the invisible walls are gone obviously in this build because it's basically a final build of the game very close to final um and yeah i mean truly you can go anywhere i think that's the headline right is that this is truly an open game and i think we talk about open world games a lot right and if you think about grand theft auto prototypical open world game you think about gta 3 the template that's set for every gta game since and many other games in many other genres the world is open and you can go anywhere but the story missions play out in a specific order sometimes you have a bit of choice about which mission you undertake first but basically you're doing things in this set order right the impression Man, my, yeah, my, my immediate comparison is not Grand Theft Auto, but Skyrim, where people want that sandbox experience. And they don't want to just follow the, the railroad tracks, which does just go in a specific order. So they end up just putting well, off the story for forever and ever and ever. Well, yeah, but also in Skyrim, that's got, you know, this core narrative that you could do in maybe six hours. Now, it's hard to tell. But I'm under the impression that Elden Ring has sort of open-ended progression so there were things that happened and they happened to me at different points that they happened to other people so other people would defeat a boss for instance and then the next time they rested at a site of grace uh, the handmaiden character would appear and would introduce a new mechanic and give you something new or whatever or introduce you to a new location but the um the trigger for that is not 
fixed. Necessarily defeating that boss because someone I know unlocked that by defeating Margit the Fell, the boss that was in the closed network test. But people I know unlocked that by, you know, quite literally just noodling around, which is how it happened to me. <laughs> Eventually, I was just exploring, and at some point, I rested, and she just appeared and said, "Hey, I'm going to take you to Roundtable Hold." Roundtable Hold is a whole other thing to discuss because that is um, it's almost like your Firelink Shrine. So what you're saying is this this going to be a nightmare to guide? <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but like this is this is the worst comparison. I want to make it anyways. It sounds like some saga games where different <laughs> things you do have like different point values, and like it doesn't, it doesn't matter what and you it's do. Pushing exactly. you through this threshold, yeah. But once you like reach like a certain like you've done enough things or points, like then some event might happen. So like I don't know what like, yes, reminded me of being introduced around to behold right. Or a different character showing up at the bonfires. These are major events. Roundtable Hold, by the way, is basically like, like I said, like your filing shrine. So it's a no combat zone that's full of it. Not full of. Don't get the wrong idea. It's not like heaving. But there are quite a lot of other NPCs who are also tarnished, like you, who sell different things, have interesting story things to say. Um, there's a a a, um, a, a blacksmith type guy there although it's interesting because obviously in the core souls games those locations were the only place you would go to do your weapon upgrades for instance whereas here you have this location that you can teleport to from any of the sites of grace because it's sort of off the map but also there are places you can do that stuff yourself to around the world so it's interesting although i'm sure it's probably the case that he can do exclusive stuff and things so yeah so anyway i went south um, discovered a different castle, discovered a different side quest where I was asked to um, met a woman on the path to the castle and she basically said the castle had fallen and her father was still there. She wanted me to find her father, went to the castle, found the father. He wouldn't leave the castle without a sword, but the sword was in the hands of us. You see how that stuff goes. But the thing is, that castle was just like deep south on the map completely disconnected and in completely the opposite direction that the game story was pushing you. And so like you, you know, went to this castle pretty early, but in someone else's playthrough of the game, they might stumble across this castle dozens of hours later, possibly. Yeah. Or, or perhaps not at all. And it, it's that's, you know, you mentioned Skyrim. That's probably the closest comparison in the sense of you sort of have that moment of once you, or for me, I always think of oblivion because that's my favorite one. So when I think of coming out of the, prison in oblivion and the world opens up in front of you and at that point you can do whatever you want and that is totally what this is but the interesting thing is it felt to me in these six hours which it's only six hours like the story was progressing and like things were happening even though i was just noodling around i wasn't even fighting that many bosses because i was determined to see as much of the world as possible so i would sort of hit a boss and teleport to a different uh site of grace and go in a different you, you, didn't, you didn't want to spend part of your six hours doing like the death the death marathon against a yeah boss. if you've only, if you've only got six hours you don't want to spend an hour and a half of that bouncing off one bus boss right so um and you know there's other areas i went to there's an area like east of the point i'm talking about at the bottom of storm hill where um i think it's called Kalid, and as you approach it it's got that cool effect this is going to be a really weird comparison but you know how like on the overworld map in final fantasy 7 as you approach cosmo canyon 
it goes to sort of that late evening, like yeah. golden hour sort of time. Um, and lots of games do that, right? I've seen there's some Zelda games that have done that in the past and stuff too. But basically, as you approach this area, Kaelid, the sky just goes like red, like blood red. And the whole area is bathed in this blood red colour. And uh, Kaelid is sort of at the top of a hill. And then as you go down the hill, there's a great big like blood swamp, which is poisonous when you step on it. Um, there's another big castle, which I couldn't get anywhere near because even on my horse, I was getting like hit with massive explosive arrows that were coming from cannons or like ogres with bows and arrows. I couldn't quite tell. Um, so yeah. And, and then the other thing that I think is super cool is, so then right towards the end of the hands-on, um, I went, so there's two cool things that I did towards the end, but one of the cool things was I went up towards Stormvale Castle and I remembered in the hands-on there was sort of a path around the, the side of the castle that was blocked by the invisible walls. So I took that path. And lo and behold, <laughs> um, if, you, if you mess around there enough and look closely enough, you will find a path that just climbs up and around behind the castle and spits you out exactly where the castle would spit you out if you went through and beat all the bosses and stuff in the castle. Is this so like, like an intentional is, thing or like a sequence? Yeah, thing? yeah. This isn't like this isn't like breaking, you know, jumping up a cliff or something. This is a deliberate path that's well hidden. There's this sequence break that's just there for you to find. Now, what I don't know at this stage is is uh, Storm Vale Castle a you know uh, mandatory piece of progression for the game? So, do you like have it, to it, go at, there at any point? Is it going to like? Courting you back and saying, "Hey, hey, I know you skipped this You've before. Gotta go you got to go and defeat that Yeah, <laughs> maybe. But I think the thing that I found really interesting and really exciting is that path is there, and I was able to go around, get to this area that clearly I wasn't powerful enough to be in. Um, and the story doesn't let up in that sense. Like you start finding NPCs who start talking about interesting locations. So it's like this area beyond to the north of the castle. There was a guy who was talking about like um, a mage's academy. And something had gone down at the Majors Academy while he was out in the wilds and he couldn't get back in because the doors had all been sealed. And it's like, okay, so you're going to go to that academy and something real fucked up is going to have happened. Um, but yeah, like, and if that, I don't know, that is that a story location? Is that just side content? Who knows? And that's the amazing thing about it. It's truly truly open in that regard and it just feels yeah i mean just touched on it one of the things running through my mind when i was playing it was like oh god this is gonna be a nightmare to guide because you truly can go anywhere yeah so it doesn't it doesn't actually like spell out for you like hey this is like the next story location or it doesn't like it doesn't like give you like a, a pushing like or guiding hand of like hey go to to this location next that's like vital to the quote-unquote so it's, story it's sort of clear when you first come out into limgrave that it there's a there's like an a quite linear number set of bonfires where it's like you find one yeah, maybe I remember maybe that for the and test, yeah. third one of those bonfires obviously the one is, that's at the base of uh storm hill and that's the one also where when you rested it you get given the horse mm-hmm. yeah although yeah. this is the thing i'm curious about i assume if you go off to other bonfires eventually the horse will just trigger the same way other things did for me yeah. um i i imagine but um, yeah, but when you are there, the, what's she called? The handmaiden, finger maiden, something like that. Um, 
she does sort of say to you, Stormvale Castle is to the north. You should go right, there next. Yeah. But that's about it. It's like there's no quest markers in the traditional sense. It's like if you find an NPC who talks about a location where and, and sort of gives you intrigue, a reason to go to a location. It, that location does get marked on your map, but not like in a flashing icon, here's a side quest way. It's just like, oh, that cave that was talked about is here, by the way, if you fancy going to it. I think I think that's a nice <laughs> compromise. It's not like a waypointed where it's like, here's the Mage's Guild right here, waypoint, go. But it's like, right. here it is on the yeah, map, and, and you here can, to the east or whatever. You can, you can drop a, a, a pin, obviously, then on that location and make a beeline to it. But yeah, that's up to you, right? Yeah. It is, but obviously Breath of the Wild still had a traditional quest log where it was like quest started. It's, it's not a quest log, this, but like but the actual like ma- like map making uh, aspect of it, you can definitely, you know, make your map the way you wanted it to be. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. I mean it's 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 interesting. And the size of the world and the, the how varied the world is, I discovered uh I discovered like a, a mausoleum. And it had an elevator in it. And I got the impression this elevator was something a bit different because the Souls elevators are always like great big platforms with chains and stuff. Um, and this looked like an Souls elevator. Lots of like runes glowing mm. the moment you step on it, that sort of stuff. And it goes down. Obviously, as it goes down, it's hiding a load because there's no load screens in this game. Um, but when it goes down, like... I'm expecting it to just lure me into a dungeon and it lowers me into like a great big underground river that is running under a huge swathe of the map. And it's like, this opens up in front of you and you're like, holy shit, like this is just here. And it's inside this tiny mausoleum building that is in a semi-significant location, but it's not, you could easily miss it. And again, this and is a place and since, found... and since it's like lower on the map, it's not obvious where it's like this is here because the map just shows what's well, on the surface level. I see. Yeah, the map, the map doesn't even appear for that area until you find it. And then when you find it, you open the map and go, oh, this is running under the map. And actually, the enemies down there were super powerful, even though I found it um, by just traveling a little bit southeast of the starting point. So that's when you would take one of your map markers and be like, all right, come back later. Yeah, but I sort of rode through it on my horse. I died a couple of times doing it, but I wanted to see what was at the other end of this great big underground river. And when I reached the other end, there's another elevator that presumably, once you activate it from the other end, is connected to another piece of the map on the other side of the game world because it runs underneath. Yeah, it's cool. It's, it's, It's really cool. I can't wait for someone to just accidentally somehow, some way, just stumble into the final area and defeat the final boss and like just sees credits like two hours into the game. It's like, oh, I guess that's a game. That's it. I think it's going to happen. Yeah. I think it's going to happen. I, I, like, I can't wait to see the, um, the, the 40 minute speed run or even less than that. To or see the speed runs and see it. people working out. They, yeah. They've got their broomstick. They've got their like. They they don't they never get hit because they're god tier players so they don't need armor. I, I really, yeah, I really can't wait. Yeah, I really can't wait to speed into this game. Like uh, just having a dedicated jump button just really opens the game up in terms of the speed running and just like what sort of weird out of bounds streaks they're gonna find. It's yeah, I mean, I, I think <laughs> it's bonkers, and I think it's it's just so it's so free flowing, and who knows. But if you're asking me for my bet, I bet that this game has maybe one or two points 
where you have to defeat a certain boss or a boss of a certain type. But other than that, I bet it's just like, do whatever you want. That's my guess. That's the feeling it gave me. And even if it ends up not being the case, even if it ends up like once people like map it out and kind of like back calculate like Adam's point thing or however it ends up working like under the hood, even if it ends up being the case where there is a little bit more order than you might realize, if it's obfuscated enough where you never realize that or you never glean that unless you like really dive into it, I think that's also just as valid where as long as it gives the impression that you were able to do whatever you want, whatever order you wanted, regardless of how the mechanisms worked underneath. I think that that's still an accomplishment in my mind. That's the most exciting period of a Souls game in general. Like the like the first few weeks of like no one knows anything about this uh, game coming out. It's like what the fuck is happening? Like what is affecting what? That's all. Like the discovery period of Souls games are always, in my opinion, like the best time to play them. Well, then also it's kind of you almost have the opposite thing where people might realize or like Alex's little accidental skip that he did at the castle where you might learn, like, did you realize that this is actually optional? Like I'm imagining when dark souls one came out and people were doing the, um, what's the, the younger prince that you fight underneath at the very bottom of, uh, uh, and Orlando, like people might've thought he was required. Cause he's got like a big storyline leading up to him. And he's like, Nope, he's actually completely optional. Or did you know you never had to do this because you could just take this back path and never have to step foot. I almost think that's also interesting. It's going to be a lot more of that. Yeah. And this sort of has like that emergent storytelling where everyone's individual narrative that they piece together in their playthrough is going to be completely different just based on the choices they made or whether or not they get to this underground river and turn back and say, I'm going to go back when they're stronger or they just uh, go get on their horse. Like Alex said, like, I want to see what's on the other side. Uh, however weak I am, be damned. And yet, I think despite all this, it's probably the in some way, the easiest and least obtuse of the Souls games compared to Dark Souls, and I'll, I'll tell you for why. For one, it, just to talk about easier, I don't think it's easier in terms of the difficulty of combat and stuff like that, but because it's a go-anywhere game, I was talking to Mike about this, because Mike, the, 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 the tech guy on RPG site, has tried Souls and bounced off it because he just couldn't get on with how those games are. And we were talking about Elden Ring, and I was saying, the thing is, if you get to a boss and you find it really difficult and you're stuck on it, you can just teleport to another site of base, pick a direction you've never been in, and go and explore something else. And then later on, when you're stronger, you can you can loop back if you want. Um, and that is obviously, in Souls, you could teleport to an old area, but what you were really faced with, apart from those few times when it had the branching stuff, um, like optional areas like the larvary bit of uh, DS3 and things like that, um, you really, your only option was to just grind on skeletons and shit NPCs, or maybe, you know, there cheese were fun- out There dragons. were funnel points where eventually it's like, you got to beat this guy. I'm sure they exist yeah, in Elden it, Ring, but it seems like far fewer and far more spread apart. I, see, I'm not massively convinced they will exist in Elden Ring, but even if they do, you can teleport away and there's more to do. Like I say, if you yeah. hit a boss in in Dark Souls, broadly speaking, your option is to go away and grind. And what are you going to grind? Content you've already seen. Mm-hmm. Enemies, regular enemies you've already seen. Find, a drag, find the dragon and cheese the dragon ranged attacks or whatever because it's worth more souls that sort of stuff 
in this game, you can truly just up roots and go, you know what? Screw this boss. I'm going to teleport back to somewhere miles away and go in a completely different direction. And just by the merit of exploring, you're going to gain a bunch of souls and be able to level up and perhaps find some new gear, whatever. So that's the point where I think it makes it easier. And then to the point of being less obtuse, I just think having a map in the way it's got a map <laughs> and being able to drop down waypoints and stuff like that, it just feels a little bit less uh, you're on your own, even though you, you definitely feel like you're on your own still, <laughs> if that makes sense. And yeah, and also when the story stuff happens, when characters are talking to you, it feels a bit more confident in how it's delivering that story. I think probably more of this, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of lore hidden in item descriptions and stuff like that. But also it felt like I was being fed more lore directly as well. It may, maybe it felt a little bit more actually like grounded rather than like the Dark Souls 2 where they're just like, let's be as vague as possible and uh, hopefully you glean something amazing out of it or something like that. I, yeah. I think the biggest learning curve for me after playing the closed network test of Elden Ring is that uh, adapting to enc- the encounter philosophy in the game that now that you do have a dedicated jump button, like making use of that button in combat because I played like, you know, Souls games. I never had that option like in those games to like really think about. And it's like, oh, okay, I really have to start looking out for like sweeps and whatnot and like yeah uh, yeah like like the closest thing like sekiro in that sense where you do have that option of like okay they're about to do a sweep or you have to like makiri counter into them sekiro is the one like gap in my souls ish uh, what do you call it history that's the one game i skipped so The, the one thing i will say is is when you're fighting the the soldiers anyway um and an interesting thing, I saw more NPCs fighting each other in this oh. six hours than I think I've seen, generally speaking, in any of the other Souls games. Interesting. Because there are totally factions. Mm-hmm. It's like um, in that castle that I talked about that was under, uh, that was to the south, that was under siege, that appeared to be a big, long, a big, chunky side area. Um, inside, there are still some of the. I say inside, I don't want to set false expectations. This castle doesn't really have an interior because it's starting to crumble away through the destruction of the, the 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 fighting. But there's sort of different levels you can go and you can climb up onto the parapet. Anyway, in there, there are still some of the some of the soldiers, some of the knights, and they're sort of fighting these creatures and the the twisted husk people that have Yeah, I do, I do remember the, yeah, in the in the test that that they were like these Big, big giant enemies. I don't know if they were golems or fleshy uh, enemies. They're like fighting off like wolf facts and uh, other sorts of creatures at, the, at that area of them. I do recall that. Yeah, I've definitely seen control. more of that than I saw okay. in, in, in Souls. But my point is, anyway, yeah. Um, with the soldier enemies and stuff like that, where there's distraction, stealth feels more viable. Like you feel a little bit of the Sekiro vibe in terms of being able to hide in tall grass and pop out and backstab someone. The AI is obviously, I will say, that's one of the things where you're like, oh yeah, this is still a Souls game in the sense that I was just hiding off to the corner watching these two factions of enemies fight. And one of them defeated, he was sort of one-on-one with one of the other enemies and he defeated it. And then two of his allies were getting like, just battered behind him. But he had spotted me, so he made a beeline for me, and I was like, "Man, like 
in a game with more robust AI, he would have gone to help his friends. But, um, you know, that's not really what these games are about. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. So I guess my one of my questions I have for you before we uh, wrap this up is I saw during a lot of when people were sharing from the closed network test, like how the magic system works and how it seems like I, I remember Dark Souls one had a lot of broken and I think two as well, especially like the lightning magic was completely like overtuned. And then eventually it was like nerfed down to nothing in the later series of the games. But then it seems like in Elden Ring and a lot of the marketing for it, they've really pushed like these cool like specter ghosts that you get to ally with you, these giant like magical armaments that you get. Did you mess much with uh with uh, magical weapons or like I guess I'll just ask more generically, like what sort of combat style did you end up going with? So I was mostly, you know, I did a little bit of uh, bow and arrow work, and mostly I am very much a, a traditional sort of um, longsword and <laughs> small shield sort of guy. But um, although I'm finding the shield pretty useless in Elden Ring, so I think in my actual playthrough, I think I'm going to ditch the shield. But um, I'm, I love I love summoning in in these games, um, and obviously you've got the the summons that are available. So one thing that I will say, if you played the closed network test, it's way harder to get hold of summons. Um, okay. Cause they were clearly just placed at those shops in the, in the network test for the sake of the network test. They mm -hmm. clearly just moved them there. I can certainly speak to the one that was the wolves in the network test. I obtained that in a completely different way. It wasn't in the shop where it was. Oh, okay. Um, so, the balance of all that is slightly different in the final game. I found a summon that was, I don't know if it was in the network test because I didn't get it in the network test, but I found a summon that was a jellyfish <laughs> that sort of shot, shoots, um, Hell yeah. shoots ranged stuff at bosses from afar. And it's actually really cool because you can aggro the boss um, and up close and keep them engaged while this thing is quite far away and just keeps firing projectiles that whittles away their health. So that's cool. I have to have um, a panda summon. That'd be great. I love pandas. But <laughs> I did I did fight a giant bear and it killed me straight away. Hell um, yeah. Like a huge bear that was like 12 feet tall. I think they released a screenshot with one of those bears. In yeah, it, uh, 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 but that does not prepare you for the size of it in the game. You just go like, ooh, because you're on your horse and you feel quite large. And then it's like, you know, double or perhaps. I played Yakuza 5. I can handle size. bigger bears. I think yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> I think but, um, people actually found that bear in the uh, network tests with the out of bounds glitch. Ah, uh, yeah, well, yeah, because they are in uh, the forest in in uh, in Lingrave. So yeah, if people were managed to manage to get out of bounds, I didn't see any of that. So that's interesting. I love out of bounds glitches. Like um, I spent many hours watching many many out of bounds stuff on uh, on FF15. That like the out of bounds king because they just built a huge world mm. and then not used any of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's to come back to the magic point. Um, it feels like in general, there's more there's more to enjoy in terms of class customization. More things are viable in this game. It feels like, um, but yeah, it does seem like magic's going to be quite an expensive, uh, quite an expensive path to go down. But I think it's probably pretty powerful. But I personally am not. I've never been a mage because i'm just not good at keeping the distance between me the, the only time that i got enemy. into it was I'm, I'm trying to i'm racking my brain whether it was one or two it's it's whatever game like the lightning spear 
magic was completely overpowered. So that was the only time I did magic was when it was like any baby could do this and win. So I've never really done it when you really have to like commit to it and get like actual strategy or technique. So um, for Elden Ring, I'm kind of like, depending on how like expensive or hard to get into it. Like, I, I don't want to just be the guy that just says like, I'm going to do the, I'm, I'm very much like you. Like I played Dark Souls 1, Sword and Shield, never parried, never dodged, just block, block, block heavy armor i think i wore havel's armor most of the way so i'm gonna try to like get out of my comfort zone and be like don't be the heavy armor stocky dude be like be like a mage or something so that's that's my aspiration for myself right now we'll see if i'm able to stick to that yeah i i i I, i'm quite curious to sort of the problem is with the way i spec um i don't end up with very much it's sp isn't it picking these games i can't remember but i don't end up with very much magic juice um Uh... so it means I summon in a fight and then I can't do anything else. Um, <laughs> my, oh, I, I'm my, also a coward. I always summon like the NPC help. My imagery like, for go ahead. Yeah, my, my my imagery for your for your plan, Brian, of like your aspirations and hopes is like I'm thinking of like you you have like this your, your standard wizard mage build and then you slowly animorphs <laughs> back into a tank. <laughs> so like, yeah, well, yeah. what if what if i'm a mage oh this i'm too squishy what am i what if i'm a mage with armor or what if instead of exactly. i use a sword what if i'm a mage what if i'm a mage without magic oh, yeah. <laughs> oh damn it <laughs> no but yeah it was yeah. awesome to hear your your take on it because we we had uh before you had jumped on we had obviously given a, a shout out to amy's preview feature and james and josh had gone through with the network test and we also talked a little bit about and maybe you can speak to this a tiny bit about um was this done through like band name co's like remote cloud access so they you get access yeah to it? i don't need to get too inside baseball here but they use uh there's lots of different apps that um have sort of come up over the years uh of the pandemic for us to that, that publishers like to use to give us hands-on without having to get us to the office or give us a copy of a game and i think without a ring they're obviously super um, concerned about leaks, and they've also got the like crazy netcode thing going on, right? This vulnerability that they're trying to fix, right? Um, so basically, it was installed on Steam on a PC in Bandai Namco's offices, and then I used an app called Shadow to dial into that PC at a designated time. And Shadow is like a team viewer or a parsec, basically like a Stadia or um, XCloud style thing um, to dial into that PC. And- play live what i will say is shadow is sick it's really good like i mean i have very good i have gigabit internet so that obviously helps but i was having zero lag it felt really safe. it was very it was one of those cloud experiences where it was very difficult to even tell that i was playing over the cloud apart from some very light visual artifacting and hints um so Adam, Adam so, yeah. had introduced the uh, the cloud playing because, and then George Foster actually did it with Bandai Namco earlier with Tales, and I believe um, yes, yeah, yeah, uh, one of the other games. So, but I don't, I don't, yeah, Scarlet Nexus, and then I don't I've think actually, any of the rest of us have done it. Oh, wait, James, have you done? No, it? I forgot. Yeah, um, for the Endwalker preview, it was through uh, Parsec. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so 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 Square Square uses Parsec. I played um, Final Fantasy Origin, Strange in Paradise through Parsec. That was a really laggy session. It was not good. Um, yeah, I think with Square, well, I don't know if we can actually. I, I will say this right because it's it's difficult. It's always difficult to know what to say. But the, this is nothing that I wouldn't say directly to 
PR or marketing or whoever as feedback. It is dumb that they force us to connect through Parsec to servers back in Japan. Uh, so I don't yeah, know that that, that was that the case help. <laughs> for. I don't know that that was the case for. Um, I'm pretty sure the stranger. In fact, I know the, the Stranger Paradise demo I played was running at the London office, and I'm obviously in the UK. But what I would say is the thing that I really want to. And again, this is nothing I wouldn't say to PR, but the thing I want to shout out Bandai Namco for is they're quite chill about this stuff. So it's like um, for Final Fantasy Origin, it was like we had to connect to a PC through Parsec to play the game, but then also we had to be in a special Discord server, and they used this Discord server to like give us a preamble about the game before we played it, show us some cutscenes. Uh, like they used the discord stream share to show us those. And then that barely worked and was lagging like crazy. Oh yeah. Then to sort of monitor what we were doing and make sure we weren't getting into, I don't know, getting into difficulties or whatever. We then had to stream the game back to them through discord screenshot or something like that. But basically (laughs) our gameplay had to be in like a discord chat with the screenshot. And I was just, it's just like, it's fine. It works, but credit to Bandai Namco for both the Tails hands-on and this, and even the Cyberpunk hands-on, where they were super skittish about Cyberpunk, which Cyberpunk was through Parsec, not through Shadow, but in all three cases, Bandai Namco were like, right, you have a slot to dial into this PC, so mine was between nine, uh, between 10am and 6pm on a, no, 10am and 4pm um, 4 on a designated day, and it was basically... We're not watching. Maybe someone was in that room just keeping an eye, making sure none of them had crashed. But like, it wasn't like I had to be in a Slack server or a Discord server or anything like that. It wasn't like I had someone peering over my shoulder and checking I'm okay every five minutes. It was just like, here's a review guide. Here's a couple of videos of things you might want to know. Um, the review guide, the well preview guide has a bunch of stuff in it about like things you might need to know recommended directions that maybe the developers think you should check out things like that some strategies for some of the bosses you might get stuck on but basically they they send you all that in an email before you slot and they're just like do what you want <laughs> and i highly appreciate that because like credit, credit where credit's due I, I can understand the more heavy hands-on approach that uh, square did for the Endwalker preview event because it's like it's an mmo you have a bunch of people there it's like yeah makes sense i I think what square wants to do really and there's other companies that are the same nintendo in the uk at least is quite similar um i think what they want to do really is they want to try to replicate the the press the physical press tour experience so it's like by having a discord server that's almost like your event space that means the producer of the game or the director of the game or whoever can speak to you all before you start or the PR or whatever. And then you go off into separate breakout rooms for roundtable interviews or you get your hands on and you've got some, you've got a chaperone to look after you and all that sort of stuff. And I get it. Um, but I will say for the, for the work from home variant of previews, I do appreciate what companies like Capcom and Namco have done where in Capcom's case, we'd like Monster Hunter rise on pc and actually the switch version right it was just like here's a code here's the restrictions please don't spoil the game go for it and in no, the case they did of Namco, also offer like a discord server just so you can like communicate for like matchmaking though yeah but that's a bit different too yeah there's and nothing also- worse there's nothing worse than being at a preview 
I'm not going to name the game here because I feel like it's a bit mean, but there was a game where I went for a hands-on, the last Gamescom I went to. So whatever that, whatever, what year was the bandit? So like, what, 2019 Gamescom? Um, and it was in a hotel room and I literally, they invite me to, the, to to go and play this game in this hotel room. I was not quite sure why this game was in a hotel room because the publisher had a massive Gamescom booth and a massive Gamescom business stand. But for some reason, this demo was in a hotel room. So you turn up to the hotel room and it's like PR. There's like the regional PR that you know. There's like the 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 higher level PR, and then there's like two or three devs, and they all just sat behind me and watched me play this game for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it's, it's, it's like and, and then and then when I finished awkward. the demo, they, this was the worst thing. When I finished the demo, they clapped. I didn't. This was a big AAA game, and the problem was then all around me right-eyed going what did you think what did you think and the truth is i didn't think it was that good um, <laughs> but obviously then you go yeah it's cool it's cool i really like and then you pick up the things you like right you go i really liked this and i really like this and you don't talk about the 10 things you want to shit on um but and i feel like the the, the really hands-on approach to uh, long distance events sometimes feels a bit like that when you've got someone watching your progress on the discord server and then if you get stuck on a boss or something they send you a dm going are you okay it's like want to help i'll ask for it (laughs) um so i really appreciate you know credit where it's due i really appreciate bando namco's approach with both tales and this and even actually also with cyberpunk which obviously to an extent that was that was also just namco uk that kind of like distributed cyberpunk there right Yes, and it's elsewhere. Ben and Impo is not really attached to Cyberpunk, but it is there. I think. I think they also publish. I think they publish it in more territories. Warner does. I think Bandai also publishes it in Asia and stuff. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably. I think the I think the US is a separate case, but Bandai is the Mm -hmm. main publisher outside of outside of North America. But either way, I mean, yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. they had a Slack server that just in case you needed technical support. But again, they just left you alone to play for 10 hours or whatever i'm gonna start um, doing that i'm gonna start like uh, after someone streams in like the staff discord i'm just gonna start clapping after the under stream <laughs> that, that was honestly one of the worst demos of, of my career because i just the game was fine but you can feel their eyes boring into the back of your head the whole time you're playing and mm-hmm. and i'm not super sensitive to this it's like it's like it, it, it's different it's it's because it's this intimate setting but it's like um when I played Final Fantasy VII Remake for the first time, outside of the demo, the demo, and then they had an event where you could play, you could play Chapter Two, so the stuff where you're running around on the upper side of the plate and fighting all the soldiers, and then you could play whatever chapter it is when you do the Macro Reactor Five mission. And when I was playing that, at one point. Um, Kitase-san just walked up behind me and watched me play for a bit. And I didn't feel weird about that, but it's the whole thing of when it's like a hotel room and it's a bunch of people just staring at the back of your head. It's like, man. Yeah. <laughs> man. I went to a I went to a Persona 5 Royal event and they had some of the like Atlas, like none of the Japanese creators, but they had like the Atlas USA people there. But it was, you know, it was different because there was like 12 of us in a room at like desks and they had some of the atlas guys just kind of roaming around a bit you know so that wasn't that wasn't that awkward but when it's like just you in a hotel room and like five people like pr or whatnot it's just uh, that's kind of weird very weird so i'm actually like cringing here from a distance 
Adam had obviously introduced the uh, the fact that Amy had played through the Shadow software, but I'm glad that I brought it back up to Alex because these were some really fun stories. Yeah, this, this is a bit uh, of a tangent, I've but got, it's fun. I've got lots of terrible. Lo- I've got lots of terrible press demo stories. Like just, just there's so many ones where they've just gone horrifically. I think the worst feeling in the world, right, is when you play a game and I do, I do genuinely think I talked about this this week because I actually wrote a preview of. Uh, I'm gonna say Dark Souls. Then I wrote a preview of uh, Elden Ring for VG247.com. In that preview, I said I'm getting the same sort of feeling in the pit of my stomach about this game that the last time I had it, it was about Breath of the Wild and Hitman 2016, which is pretty high praise. And I do think I've got a pretty good nose for these things. And the absolute worst thing is when you go to a preview and you play something and you're like, "This is fucked." Um, like to pull an example out of thin air I remember going and having the hands on with the FIFA reboot at E3 and I knew within not even half an hour within 7 or 8 minutes of starting to play that game it was going nowhere <laughs> mm. um, my, my most similar example of that was uh, Code Vein at E3 like 2018 yeah, that code vein E3 uh, demo is so bad that they delayed the game for a year. It was yeah, remember that? they delayed the whole. Yeah, they delayed the game for a whole year, basically because the E3 reaction to it was terrible. Uh, anyway, <laughs> no, but thanks for uh, yeah. jumping on, Alex, to to talk uh, so much about your time with Elden Ring. I think no, that was really it, valuable. Look, I, I wanted to make sure I, I hopped on and definitely. Um, like I say, it's a bit of a weird one for me here this weekend because um, I'm meant to be having uh, the, my daughter tonight because uh, I'm going to be up until three or four in the morning tomorrow watching the Super Bowl. Um, it's obviously, it happens extremely late here. And so sort of I'm meant to have her tonight because my partner is going to be uh, upstairs sheltering. Before, before we let you go, Alex, because we still have you here just for a little bit, we might as well talk about a feature that you wrote that is uh, correspond with a certain announced game at the Nintendo. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah we should uh, definitely uh, hit it off, Brian. What was announced at the Nintendo Direct, and what are we talking about? All right, so we have yet to talk about anything this on this podcast, but what was announced at the Nintendo Direct, and I wasn't going to bring this up first, but yes, we'll bring it up because uh, this is something that Alex, it's uh, I didn't know this, but near and dear to him, and uh, that is a remake of a sorry remaster of a Super Famicom JRPG. Remake. Oh, it is a remake because it's the it's HD technically 2D. a re- it's technically a remake. All right, all right it's not split hair. It's, it's also right. voice. This is a uh, Live Alive, which originally released in 1994. For the Super Famicom, and it is getting remaked, remade, remaked for the remaked. Nintendo Switch uh, in a HD 2D art style, and is releasing this summer on July 22nd. It had not previously released in English officially uh, at all, and I didn't know this, but as you know, within a day of this being announced at the Nintendo Direct, uh, Alex uh, wrote up a preview about this game basically saying this is why this matters this is why live alive coming to the nintendo switch this year coming west in 2022 is so important so there uh that's the preamble so i don't know anything about live alive other than some very high level stuff about it having like multiple story uh threads that are completely independent at first within different contexts different characters different settings that eventually tie together uh to me i'm I, there's a lot of games that have done similar sorts of things, but it seems like Live Alive is kind of like the tentpole or that 
idea kind of first so, was Genesis. So yeah, go just take it away, Alex. Well, I'll just say I I haven't played this game for years, and um, I collect and buy a lot of. Um, actually, I didn't collect or buy this. I interviewed um, Yoko Shimomura at some event or another. Um, and at the end of the interview, she was like, do you want some CDs? And she just had a, cause she just had a stack of her, of CDs of her work with her. Um, and so I was just like, yeah, okay. Um, so she just handed me a, a stack of CDs. Um, and there was a bunch of games. It was all old stuff. It was like arrangements. Uh, like, um, there was some, the mana arrangement CD that's really good and some other stuff. Um, and in, in this, uh, she passed out Eve. She was right. Um, so I think there was a Parasite Eve soundtrack in there. Um, because she did Parasite it, Eve, yeah. But but in there, there was uh, this Live Alive remix CD, and I listened to it, and I was like, this is really good. So then I obviously go and play the game. Um, and yeah, it's it's not like... It's not like an absolutely perfect game, by any means, the original anyway. Um, but the thing I'd just say about it is, it's... In, intimately connected in my opinion to sort of Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy V, Final Fantasy VI. It's really connected to that golden era of Super Nintendo games. And I think in particular there's a lot of DNA shared both in terms of staff and in terms of ideas between this and Chrono Trigger. And then it's got like a really interesting race combat system and all that sort of stuff. In fact, the thing that was worst about the game was just that it graphically was a bit weak it sort of it came out around the time that Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger came out, but it looked more like Final Fantasy IV or V. You know what I mean? Okay, um, so it seemed a little bit dated, this, maybe at the time. Yeah, it, it was dated when it released, definitely. Uh, so the fact that this is in a HD two D remake is addressing the number one thing that was a problem with this game. Well, uh, the thing I love about the game—it's basically probably why they're going back into it—is the Octopath Traveler. You know, with the gigantic yeah. enemy and your sprite is like super tiny. Look, like yeah. it's, it's one of those. It's like it's like uh, Live Alive jogged, so Octopath could walk, so Live Alive could again run. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely Octopath. There's a lot. What's, of what's with this Octopath well. slander? But the hey. difference is right. The difference is right. Um, that. Octopath didn't do the great. In fact, one of the probably the greatest downfall of Octopath was it did, did not do a good job of eventually bringing those stories together. Right. That is what this yeah, game Octopath does is just basically the, eight separate stories. Didn't some of the like Octopath like developers even say they didn't expect people to do all eight stories? And it's like, oh come on. Of course they're gonna do it. I, I didn't say it. It wouldn't surprise me if they said yeah, that. That seems, like, that, that seems really weird. Yeah. That, uh, some some dev would 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 misunderstand but it's it's just an excellent excellent game um, yeah I love and it. It, it's it's really interesting and i think it's a perfect fit for 2d for hd 2d whereas for instance everyone clamors for a final fantasy uh 6 2d hd or hd 2d whatever bloody way around they <laughs> they say i noticed that the trailers for this have like a HD 2D logo on the end, so they're clearly trying to Square's trying to make this into a brand now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now we're we're up to what three? Because four, four, triangle, triangle strategy, live alive, mm. and Dragon Quest three. Hey, you know, yeah, maybe Quest they might uh, an, actual, octopath, an octopath, right? Which started, yeah. but like yeah. the, the 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 whole thing is, you know, I think 
it's the perfect sort of game. People talk about Final Fantasy VI, and it's like, I think Final Fantasy VI looks pretty good as it is. And I'm actually sort of disappointed that they're doing a few scenes in 2D HD, or HD 2D, for, for the pixel HD remaster 2D. of six Because now you're going to have this mismatch. When it goes to the opera, the game is going to look different. And I didn't like that on the PS1 versions where they used CG, so I don't like it anymore for this. Um, I'd rather they remade games that deserve it or that are more needing of it, perhaps, because FF6 would deserve it, but I don't think it needs it. Um, so that's thing number one. Thing number two I'll say about this is I think this getting remade in HD2D increases the chances of them doing Chrono Trigger astronomically. I was hoping uh, that they would do a different game. I was hoping they would do Bahamut Lagoon because they're doing Project Triangle. Oh, yeah, strategy. that'd be good. Yeah, Bahamut Lagoon would be really good. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to do Chrono Trigger in this style either. Um, but if they do it, I'd be interested to see it. I just I, think that this game, like Live Alive in general, is like re- really so special to me as well because of the way it kind of it, it presents itself very differently from, from other RPGs in the way that like it depicts like different time periods and the way that their gimmicks are like. But, you know that you showed they showed a little bit in the trailer with like you know how the prehistoric period had like no words only emojis and like you know um, I love how this uh, remake is uh, voice acted and you can even hear in that oh, little section that they just see. have grunts voiced. Let's yeah. see if it's all voice acted or if it's yeah, just select scenes because it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if it's not all. Yeah, yeah, I, I wonder, I wonder if it is fully. Was, was, was Octopath all VO? No, no, absolutely. Yeah, not. so this is the thing. It's all the story it's stuff, but not like the side stuff. The the one other thing I'd say is, uh, if Nintendo is pub- Nintendo's publishing this, at least in the West, yes. and if they're getting into bed with this in a big way, uh, the thing that I've thought about a few times over the last couple of days is, I think they should remake the first two Golden Sun games in HD TV. <laughs> golden sun would actually be apt to it because the way it's like uh like the perspective of battles already like remember like the dragon quest 3 uh hd2 dragon quest yeah that dragon quest remake battle like it looks like golden sun yeah it's like so yeah i i think that uh i'm still for live alive it's i'm still kind of mixed on like i get it why they had to change the character designer to like, it seems like the Octopath uh, person. I forgot their name off the top of my head. Well, like, it'll I, be a licensing nightmare. Yeah, yeah it'll be a licensing nightmare. Yeah, yeah, because, like, yeah, yeah, because in the original one, they had like uh, all those publishing ties with uh, Shoga Kukan, I believe, is the publisher uh, of the original character designs because there are different manga artists for each of the characters in the original Live Alive. And that'd be, yeah, it'd be a nightmare. And I, I don't know if that was the reason or partially the reason why that never came to the West either. So. I think it was just late. During that time, there's a lot of games that got skipped. During yeah. so, in terms of Live Alive specifically, actually, Tessie, the guy who obviously did a lot of the Square translations at the time, is on the record as saying the visuals were a huge detracting factor to that getting mm. localized because it just looked so dated. Yeah, You've got to think, by the time it came out, um, yeah, like Final Fantasy VI would have been out for, for a couple of years and Chrono Trigger was like I think seven months after it in Japan. So if you think about the Western timeline, and I think that's why it was just like decided we're not going to do this. It has everything. And for those of us who were for those of us who were in that who were playing games in that period of time, like I remember, companies like that would 
were obsessed over like each new game, how it would how it looked better than the last, or it had new effects or whatever. Like that was a that was like the thing to care about. So I could see how them saying like mm, the visuals aren't as good, we can't release this because that was yeah. people harped on that like all the time. Sony was big. So on I believe that. you. They were like, "Hey, if this game was two D, we're ditching it. We have to go three D." I guess I, I just want to like know, like, what was everyone's like first thought when they saw this on stream? Like, like, well, on. I was hype about it. I, you know what? The thing I care about the most is the final scenario about this game. It is yeah. basically a Final Fantasy one scenario that is a parody gone horribly wrong. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's something. I like if for people who were let down by the way, like how Octopath. Uh, handled its split scenarios um this game lives up to it like the 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 finale the conclusion finale is like one of the strongest points of this game and oh, yeah and what was it the main character from that scenario even looks like the final fantasy one warrior if you just look at the way he looks like in the trailer they, they, yeah, they didn't show him but yeah. they won't tell you what, what this scenario is and, and i'll say please look forward to it yeah, yeah, the it's... first thing I thought when I saw it on the stream, well, as soon as they showed Alive with the red A, I knew it was like, oh, it, oh. <laughs> it was, I remember uh, like a few same. years ago or a year and a half ago, there were trademarks uh, made for Live Alive in like every region. And trademarks are always like sometimes, you know, companies just do trademarks just to hold on to the name, not necessarily plan to do anything with them or or what have you. But there was like a bunch of trademarks made in like every region relatively close to each other. And it's like, is something going to happen? And then they held like an event. It was weird. It was like the 20 something anniversary, but it wasn't a nice even number. And um, then they didn't like nothing came of it. That, it. That always felt weird to me that they did all these trademarks and then they did this event and nothing came of it. So that's the first thing I thought of like, oh, maybe this was their plan at the time and they just had to wait a little bit longer to actually like re-release it. So that's so what I thought. My question is, was this in development before Octopath or was it after Octopath? Definitely after. Well, it, it would have to be after. I, I think all I, of this stuff has to be a reaction to Octopath's success, right? Yeah, yeah that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Like, oh, they see Octopath sold, so let's just uh, greenlight this project because I can't imagine Square greenlighting these projects these days. It's just like they're really. I, I think they they see clamor for the HD two D art style and um they're they're going on it. I guess. So. I mean, and all credit where credit is due. Like Square's been doing a really damn good job of bringing forward their like back catalog, like especially yep. the last like two years. It's been like insane. Like. Well, it's a it, it hit and miss, right? Because we're still hot off of Kingdom okay, Hearts. Okay, guys, guys, I, I, well, while, while you guys have been talking, I've been digging through some of our previous podcasts. Uh, our podcast episode 174 in October of 2020 is when we uh, had discussed the non-news from the Live Alive 26th <laughs> anniversary stream. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, so that would have been a year and a half ago. October oh. of pandemic year one. is We had the anniversary stream. And nothing came of it, and that's the last. Time well, the, we the, about the trademarks were the trademarks were made before then, so I right. have to imagine that's probably roughly when they decided let's do this, or shortly after they greenlit it, and it was in development at the time. But yeah, it's it was weird that they held tell, that twenty like, sixth anniversary event before like they were ready to announce this. It's just it how Square operates, though, right? Yeah, like they, yeah. like back, like nothing's going on with uh, with Lagoon, for instance, but that still had like weird tie-ins in mobile games and stuff 
which means that which means then you have to keep the trademark up and the copyright stuff up to protect there the is a, and the mobile game and all that it, sort of stuff. I it was Xenogears had a birthday yesterday or today, right? And they brought That's back the Xenogears. Yeah. They brought back the Xenogears collab in Brave Exvius. So it's like I doubt. I'm actually going to doubt there's a Xenogears like remaster in progress in 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 the works because I think there's just a lot of weird logistics I there think, with Takahashi. Well, but like they're they're keeping I the brand alive in, in the ways they can. Chrono Cross is going to define a lot. I think if that goes on yeah. and sells really well and does really well, I think Square will suddenly be looking at the rest of that PS One catalog and going, "Okay, what can we do?" If Chrono Cross well, just for the rest so, of this podcast. Just, Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we, 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 we have not introduced so the Chrono Cross news, but we'll get to okay, that. Okay, we'll yeah, get to that. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I think that's what it's going to depend on, basically. So, uh, two two things. One, damn, I fucking wish we got that board game for the collector's edition for Live Alive. That looks really fucking cool. Um, two, I, I don't know when you saw this, Alex. Like, I don't know if it was before the Nintendo Direct or not for the Live Alive HD two D remake thing. But like, I just kind of want to. No, was going through your mind when you like saw that for the first time. When I, I, was. You know, I knew nothing about this because I don't know. It's it may it probably because it was published by Nintendo. If I'm honest, if I'm entirely it's honest, like sometimes yeah. I, if, yeah, sometimes I get a bit of a, so like I knew about Chrono you, Cross. You, and you, had, known for, had known for quite some time. I, I mean, everyone their mom knew about Chrono Cross. Like yeah. it was like an open secret. Yeah, but I, you know, I'd known quite a bit before that, and there were some Nintendo things. Like, at least I knew about Xenoblade 3 and I know stuff about it that isn't announced yet. But this, I had no clue about. And it was such a pleasant, wonderful surprise. And I was just, I was just hyped because my first thought was just, you know, it's it's difficult to describe. I was just, it was just shock. I was just like, what? Because it's not a game I expected. Um, And then I was also really pleased. And I'm not, I'm not knocking square when I say this, but I was really pleased to see that it's being published by Nintendo because I think Nintendo has a knack for these games. I don't think Octopath would have been anywhere near as successful if it had been released in the West by Square, if I'm being honest. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, I think they've got a knack to promote these games, and also it lends the games, people pay more attention to Nintendo published games in a way. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so I was just super, super pleased, um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to all of it, basically, including the uh, including the, the, the remastered soundtrack. And like okay. I said... Second thought that went through my head was, and I even tweeted this on the, at the time, I think this has increased the chances of Chrono Trigger HD 2D massively. Okay, so I went back and looked at what Alex said in the chat when Live Alive was getting announced. His words were, quote, Yo, what the fuck? I'm fucking melting. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> there you go, yeah. There's another thing I want to ask. Uh, if... There was all that NVIDIA leaks with all the PS1 era kind of remaster that was listed there. I mean, were they just going off just, hey, we're just going to name all these games at random? Or do they actually... There was so here's, my, here's, here's my understanding about that NVIDIA leak. Basically, publishers are obviously working on games and trying to figure out if they're going to be GeForce Now games or whatever. And... So that list was created by people at publishers. Now, the question is, is how that publisher operates. So some publishers, you know, they don't have much, they don't really care what's being added to this database and people are just adding random stuff or putting in code names or whatever. 
and other companies have quite genuine lists. So what was in that list for, for Square Enix? It was Chrono Cross Remaster, which has now been announced. The PC version of Final Fantasy VII Remake, which has now been released. A Final Fantasy IX Remake, which we still know nothing about. A Final Fantasy Tactics Remaster, still a no-go. Kingdom Hearts 4, still a no-go. New strategy game, which we can now safely guess, I guess, is up, is a triangle, I guess. Well, that was... Maybe that list came out after that. Triangle was announced, but it might be the PC version of Triangle that's just not... It might be the PC oh, version right. of Triangle. It also it also might be Front Mission. <laughs> yeah, it could be Front Mission. Um, front Mission is tactics, weird because it's like not published by Square, but it's weird. It had Tactics Ogre Remaster, which we know nothing about, a 25th anniversary Tomb Raider game, which seems like a shoe-in. I'd be amazed if that uh, doesn't happen. And then this is the one that I think is interesting. They had unannounced card game two, which is now clearly, clearly that second voice of cards. Oh, man. Oh, card Um, game. So, and you do get things like Square Enix announced those Final Fantasy Tactics action figures, having not made any action figures for FFT for like 15, for like 10, 15 years. I don't think mm-hmm. that's a coincidence. I do believe that Final Fantasy Tactics Remaster is real. In fact, I believe that everything on this list is a real I have project. a friend. Have they I have been... a friend yeah, who is uh, kind of direct. cataloging this NVIDIA leak, even like the smaller stuff that no one cares about. And a lot of it is coming true. Like random, like I remember, I have no idea what it's called, but there was like some fireman game, like literally like a firefighting game that was on the list, and it, it came out on Steam. Like oh, yeah, I, I forgot the name of that game, but I do remember a cool looking firefighting in the in yeah. The there, there, there's a lot on that list that's coming the, true, the and so maybe not 100 percent true, maybe some of it, but stuff right, gets cancelled as well. So it's like Half Life Two Remastered was on the list, but Valve works. Hmm. Who knows? Valve is a company that got so far down the road with Half-Life 3 and then just decided to throw it all in the trash. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And but like, even you look at Sony, right? And like God of War was on the list and then it was almost immediately announced for PC. So then you can look at that list and go, oh, well, Demon Souls, uh, Forbidden West, Ratchet and Clank, Returnal, Uncharted Legacy of Thieves are probably all coming to PC. It, was, was Legacy of Thieves announced for PC? What is I that? think it I think it was. I think the yeah. uncharted so there you go. That's two of them, right? And then you look at Take Two's list of like Bioshock, uh a new Bioshock, a ray tracing remaster of Bioshock, and XCOM three. And it's like they're all like obvious shoe-ins, really. <laughs> mm. Like you know mm. Firaxis is gonna I... make Midnight Suns, Civ Seven, and XCOM three. That's I the... don't Yeah. I don't think yeah. it's an exaggeration to say that the GeForce Now leak is probably the most like the most comprehensive like big leak the industry has had in like years. Other than other than that Capcom <laughs> leak. And again, when you look at it, the Capcom games in the GeForce Now leak, Dragon's Dogma 2, Monster Hunter 6, which will be World 2, Resi 4 remake, and Street Fighter 6 are all things that leaked in the Capcom database breach. <laughs> Yeah, the NVIDIA leak is bigger in a sense because it obviously spans multiple publishers. So, yeah, and and yeah, I, I saw I, I absolutely and there were other things in there that are relevant to us. Like there was a Titan Quest two, Shin Megami um, Tensei five, uh, SMT five was in there. Yeah, for PC. Oh yeah, we, and we, no we had a feature there, on that. Right? Yeah. Um, and obviously, Judgment for PC, which is suggestive. This is what I mean about games 
can be added to this list, I have to imagine there was probably a bit of preliminary work done on Judgment on PC, and then they realised this copyright situation and realised yeah. they can't do it. Jajari's like, what you say? What you say? Okay. Yeah, so I do believe... Have, so I, so you know, Alex, I do we have discussed that. that on this podcast about the uh, the talent agency behind Kimura, the Kimura's likeness. Yeah, so, but, I, but I do believe that, and it's sort of like, okay, Kingdom Hearts 4 is on this list. Um, what I'll say about that is, is the next Kingdom Hearts game going to be Kingdom Hearts 4? Who knows? And who knows? But, however, why do you it's think the Switch version of Kingdom Hearts is this ass cloud version? And the answer is simple. The people at the top level of Kingdom Hearts are probably too... probably like being in control too much to farm that out to an external company. But they're also way too busy on the next Kingdom Hearts to stop and retool make a, make a the previous games for Twitch. For Twitch? For Switch. So it makes sense to me that that would be quite far in production. Also, I think they've got a pipeline now. KH3 took way too long, especially because of the distractions, reverses, and all the rest. So if I was Square, and if I was Disney, I'd be saying, right, now can you make another one in two and a half years, please? Or three years, please? Yeah. As and there is, there is a Kingdom Hearts... 20th anniversary event it seems like it's more of a fan event but you never know they might tease something whether it's kingdom hearts 4 or something else but that's the oh, yeah, I, can't wait for, I can't wait for some like <laughs> little innocuous thing at that event to be like you have to pay attention to it because it's now canon or something but you know well like, if like, you yeah. think about it something to consider is that we have had yearly kingdom hearts releases since uh kingdom hearts 3 because we had kingdom hearts 3 then the dlc then melody of memory so maybe they're trying to make it a yearly thing where there's something hmm. yeah I mean, but i think they're getting better as well like i think we'll see kingdom hearts we'll 3.8 I, I, think, I, think we'll, I think we'll see i think we'll see you know ff7 remake part two at some point this year i don't think they can go through this year without showing it because of it being ff7's 25th um and then obviously I think it will probably come out next year. I, I don't think that we're going to be waiting. Like when people are like, we're going to be waiting five, six, seven years for part two. I'm just like, no, I don't think so. Like they've got a combat system. They're working in real, which is easily scalable and you can get, and obviously external developers and stuff are very, very, very familiar and comfortable in it. So at that point you can probably churn up those FF7 remake games one every two or three years. And that's what I expect them to do. Obviously the pandemic slowed things down a bit. Um, I wouldn't even be surprised if maybe that was originally, you know, in the original plan, if maybe that was set for this year, because obviously the 25th anniversary, but obviously then COVID and stuff and all the release schedules have shifted back six, 12 months, it feels like. Well, it feels like based on uh, how many release dates we st have started to place, you know, put into place after like this Nintendo Direct and even just like in, like in the last couple of weeks, like 2022, like 2021 was seems like the sacrifice year in terms of like, yes, we got a lot of great games, but uh, it seems like 2022 is when people are finally getting their feet back under them. They've either either they've either learned how to like manage their new, you know, working environment with working from home or uh, remote work or just, you know, rescheduling you know what they're working with. And it seems like this is the year that we're going to kind of rebound. It's certainly what it feels like, especially looking at basically from the start of pe February onwards. 
And like we've, we've got now the uh, Live Alive in July. We've got, uh, we'll talk about this more, but Xenoblade in September and <laughs> everything else that Square hasn't yet unveiled beyond Stranger we've Paradise. Got, we've got a shed load of Nintendo stuff, right? But then we've also got, you know, um, obviously Forspoken's got a date, but, mm-hmm. you know, we hope, we hope and assume that FF16 is this year. Square usually... Square releases a lot of games in a year, so I imagine there's probably some games that aren't on Switch, some smaller games that will that will pop up throughout the year. Um, I mean, well, Square already has like a shit ton of games coming out this year. Just next month, they're releasing four fucking games. You know the, you know the, you know, the, the, and this is we're going completely on a tangent here. I apologize. I'm like derailing the whole podcast, but like the company that makes me really curious is Capcom. Because Capcom doesn't have a big game this year. They've got Sunbreak, which... Yeah, well, Sunbreak Captain Expansion, though. Captain Expansion, this is exactly what I mean. But, but, like, if you think about it, Capcom has had at least one, usually two big games a year. So it's, like, 2021, they had Rise and Resi Village. And then on the smaller side, they also had Stories 2. Um, 2020, they had, Resi, they had Resi 3. 2019, we already know their we already what? know their big game this year. The, the big game is that Resident Evil multiplayer thing. 2019, <laughs> they had DMC five and Resi two like releasing within like four weeks of each other. 2018, they had World Monster World. Did they have anything else? I mean, World or World in itself is like gigantic. Yeah, any, so. anything beyond World that sold yeah. ended up selling twenty million or whatever. But 2017, they had Resi seven and. Uh, and infinite uh, gen 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 ultimate and infinite which is probably best not about 2016 they had dead rising 4 and street fighter 5 yeah so it's like uh, unless we'll see obviously originally pragmata was going to be this year but that's now 2023 but it feels too early for resident evil 4 i think we could feels see too early for the resident next, evil 9 i think we could see the next ace attorney maybe yeah, but that's that's just that's small potatoes. I'm talking yeah. about a Street Fighter, Resident Evil, and Monster Hunter, like a big AAA game. I hope to see the next Day's Attorney. That 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 would be. Uh, I have to assume the next Day's Attorney is, you know, they just remaster four, five, and six, right? And then they do a new one. Obviously, obviously, time for a new Power Stone and Darkstalkers. Then, well, we're just sort of in a holding pattern. For I guess this is the thing. This is the question. Is like. The answer to that question is how ready is Street Fighter Six? Yeah, <laughs> so, I remember. I remember they said they, they shared like you know after the 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 latest stream when they were talking about like Luke, like they they hope to share something about it this year, but I don't think it's gonna be ready. That game has been in production for a long time, but I think I will say my understanding is that uh, is that it got quite significantly rebooted at one point, basically oh, after yeah, Luke much. left. Um, uh-huh. after he was out, they they really really fought that game. I'm really excited, but yeah, it's interesting that Capcom doesn't have much. If it's just going to be Sunbreak, is an interesting situation for them to be in. Not that it's going to hurt them; they've got the money. It's just it's been a long time since Capcom hasn't had one. Or yeah, two just, big just games their, their own precedent that they've set for themselves. Over the but then again, years. you know, like I say, they're gearing up to announce Dragon Dogma 2, right? Which is going to be Game of the Generation, so it's all fine. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, like, even if this is a slower year for them, it seems pretty clear that 2023 is going to be massive, especially if, like, Resident Evil 4 well, Remake if, happens. If, if that then, year like... is Resi 4 Remake, Street Fighter 6, and Dragon's Dogma 2, which it easily could be, although I have to imagine Dragon's Dogma is going to take longer. 
Oh, World Two probably makes more sense. Yeah, yeah, than Dragon's Dogma because obviously, what when was oh, the when was I DMC mean, Five two years ago? So that means Dragon's Dogma has been in. Oh no, DMC Five was twenty nineteen. Yeah, but if they started right after DMC Five, three years isn't that long for a new big RPG sort of well, Elder Scrolls. No. Yeah, I mean, but it was like early, early 2019. It was like March. So I could see 2023 being for Dragon's Dogma 2. Like, that would be like, if it was a holiday title, that would be like four and a half years. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I mean, I think it's going to be a good year. And yeah, I think we're seeing the release schedule pad out. And I think it's definitely um, a good year. For RPGs, I was. I, mean, I will let you talk about. Phoenix, it. I was going Nintendo. to let you talk about the direct, but I was slightly disappointed. You hear that, that guys? Um, Xenoblade is the dregs. <laughs> I was slightly disappointed that uh, that that the Fire Emblem is not is a Warriors game um, uh, in the, the summer. I had my hopes up for a proper Fire Emblem in the summer. We, we haven't we haven't discussed this yet properly, but. After seeing like Hyrule Warriors two on Switch, I'm just like eh. terrible. <laughs> I don't know. Terrible. I don't know if I want to even. Chow will be this. waiting forever. For I, just, I, 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 I just like I I I am just so frustrated that like all the the uh, Mosu Warrior games like that are like exclusive to Switch. Like even even the Token Ranbu Warriors to an extent, it's it's still exclusive to Switch in the West because while well, it has a technically a, a PC release, that's. Uh, siphoned off the DMM games client in the and in Japan and whatnot. So it's just, I I don't like like prospect of just like a Warriors Musu game being on the Switch because of fucking. Hyrule What's Warriors interesting is Fire Emblem Hyrule Warriors, Warriors One and Hyrule Warriors One didn't run that poorly, but Age of Calamity is, in my opinion, a piss take. It's, it's terrible. It's just like it's too far. Um, it's I will say, like, but I, I'm I'm used to them running at 60 FPS, and this is coming from like someone who played Dynasty Warriors three on the PS2. So I'm not gonna say it was like perfect 60 FPS, but it ran at 60 FPS like when it mattered, and like both of those games just like that's it, that's too much to ask, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for jumping on, Alex. Uh, we have a lot of the other games that you've kind of like introduced and teased that were basically yeah, padding sorry. out the year. No, you, 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 you've upended our schedule. Our, our, <laughs> well, like I said, because we've got some big stuff that I'm obviously I'm gonna yeah. Over the coming weeks, I shall try to endeavor to be back to talk about um, games that are coming out that I will be playing. Um, I'll leave the audience to guess what they will be. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, but. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so I'll try and come back to discuss those with the other people that will be playing those games in the coming weeks. No, it was it was these are this was this was kind of unplanned, but this like everything from Elden Ring Who's... through Live Alive through your you know your your experience with a, a weird hotel room uh, staring act on whatever game you were playing there. We'll take guesses, and it was it was really good to have you on. So thanks. Cool. Right. I will see you guys in a bit. <laughs> All right. Take care. Dude. Thanks for having me. See ya. We'll be here. All right. Kind of already talked about the Nintendo Direct and vague terms. Well, well, actually, actually, that'll kind of help because we can kind of just maybe uh, hit the surface of the waves of these and then maybe go into more detail uh, as we like start approaching as these games release. And <laughs> I don't yeah. know. We'll have to figure out exactly already this. Two and so, half hours in. <laughs> No, nah, all right. So we'll have to, we'll have to curate this a bit. Um, but 
obviously the big two pieces of news these are probably like the highlights from our site for the uh nintendo direct these are the ones that we can't really skip or, or cut out and that is obviously the chrono cross remaster and xenoblade 3 and both of these were not really out of the blue these are sort of things people could guess um uh so let's just start with chrono cross so obviously part of the nvidia leak people have been speculating this for a while it had the uh what the another eden crossover stuff that uh josh talked about previously it it exists it's real it is chrono cross the radical dreamers edition which is releasing as a remaster on april 7th for xbox one nintendo switch pc and playstation 4 and uh for 1999 so as like at at a remaster friendly price so i guess i'll just start out with the obvious necessary question who here has played chrono cross me i haven't i think it's me chow and josh yeah. who here wants to play the remaster i'll say me I'm i do <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll yeah i'll play it i'll give it, give it another go it's like I, I like the game like it has really really great music and like the the, the i like the characters a lot so I just, yeah. you know, it's it's kind of like on a, the remaster isn't like the ideal way I'd want to see this game again, but it's okay, I guess. I yeah, know. I've heard and people yeah, so, say that it's one of those uh, square, like, PlayStation 1 RPGs where you could tell that it was released kind of. Like, it, like you, just, you just see this compared to like what they did with Live Alive. It's like, all right, cool. You know, I'd not say this should get an HD 2D remake because, you know, it'd be unreasonable on the way this game was developed with like the pre-rendered. 3D backgrounds, but like you just see stuff like you, there's already examples out there of AI existing AI upscales of Chrono Cross that are like look much better. It's like yeah, so it's frustrating. Uh, so this is the this is the the detail the skinny on Chrono Cross the Radical Dreamers edition is that it does include a few like quality of life abilities such as the um, a no no encounters mode. It has obviously like the the visual remaster flair such as new uh, a new background filter HD font, um, new character artwork, and specifically and this is a key point is that the you can have the the new look or the original look as a toggle. The only the only potential shortcoming is that you have to toggle all the remaster effects on or off. You can't say like I want the new font but the old artwork. It has it's all or nothing. Uh, and then specifically, it also introduces or it reincludes Radical Dreamers, as you might have best guessed based on the name, which was the text based adventure that originally released for the Satellaview as kind of like a side story. And I don't know all the details about the history of this except that the West never got it. Is that correct? Yeah. It's not really so, a side no. story. It's more like it, it was kind of. It's more like a prototype of Chrono Cross. It, it, like it has Kid and Surge. I don't know if Surge is the same name, but it's. It, it was kind of what became Chrono Cross in a way. All right, so like narratively, and it is uh, obviously um, not too far away. I already said that's released on April seventh, so in less than two months. So uh, yeah, last year it, I, it'll be yeah. an inter- it'll be an interesting game to cover because. Chrono Cross is has a little bit of like a mixed reception. It's it's a sequel to Chrono Trigger, but not in what we typically think of as sequels. Like it follows different characters. The Chrono Trigger characters are almost they are like present in a way in the game, but in a very kind of loose sort of way. It's very unique in the way it handles itself as a sequel. So it's one of those things that like going into it, going into this remaster, it's going to be interesting to like kind of go in with that sort of mindset. Maybe um, knowing it, it's, it's an interesting take on. It'll be interesting up. to see like some people people might even argue 
if it is a bad sequel or not. Well, it'd be interesting to see like when people uh, review this game, have impressions on this game, make videos of this. If now that we've had distance from its original release, it will be a little right. bit less how good of a sequel is this game and more just what does this game offer? So it I is think... a top-rated game in Metacritic for the longest time. You know that, it right? what? It was a top-rated it... game in Metacritic for a while. I actually like, think score or what? Uh, no, that's from like their gamer... Uh, was it that's from the journalist uh review score from big oh, okay. publishers? It's it's basically in the top 90s or whatever for the longest time, but users so chrono- really mixed bag, yeah. So, Chrono Cross, if you're not familiar, you basically play a Surge, I assume that's how you pronounce his name, and then you recruit lots of different characters to your, to your team. Kid is like a main character, of course, but the game has more than it's like 40, I think. Um, so a lot of these characters, they get a little bit of a, like a personality and like a tiny backstory, but you know, they're not a really like a fleshed out cast or whatnot. They're more just kind of like quirky units that you can use and they got their weird abilities and whatnot. Um, and then like the story itself is, um, it's kind of a really heartfelt story. It's, it gets kind of into the weeds with like some of the time travel chrono stuff that comes into play there. Um, but the game, it's un- undoubted its strength is that its music is f- fantastic, done by Mitsuda. Um, it's got a really nice art style for the PlayStation 1 era. Um, you know, great color palette. Uh, I actually don't quite remember the battle system quite so much. I remember it's turn-based, but there's like this sort of elemental tug of war thing going on yeah, with like which elements are present on the field and which ones you're using to kind of like tweak it. Um, I don't remember the specifics. It's been too long. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that this remaster is $20 considering like Saga Frontier remaster, which came out, you know, a year prior is 25 The Legend of Mana remaster was 30 this one seems like it may be a little bit of a lighter of a remaster, like not so many upgrades. You know, unlike Legend of Mana, they didn't have to like recreate the backgrounds or or whatnot. And unlike Saga Frontier, they're not adding you know a bunch of content to it. So maybe that's why. But you know, I think someone mentioned on this cast earlier. It's nice that Square Enix is just taking this, you know, their their catalog and making it available to you know. Everything some mixed results made in terms characters. of how well <laughs> there, there's, yeah. value, there's value in that too just like simply putting it up because like you know for better or worse you know at least with the pc version the community will quote-unquote fix it if like yeah if, there's gonna be mods for every single thing you could possibly want tweet yeah you know so i don't know dollars. Um, i'm definitely like curious sorry uh, i said twenty dollars yeah. seems like a steal to me i mean do you know how much those cartridge for radical dreamer goes for yeah it's insane so yeah this is definitely i wonder, I wonder if this, those will start depreciating a bit i wonder probably i have to um, i think there's i think like sometimes these digital releases don't seem to have that much effect on like collector prices for things uh, I can uh, that, yeah. people if they really want the physical like real deal if you will um like, I don't yeah, think, like, Sweet It In 2, that's been a while. Like, I don't think those prices for those CDs came down much when it was released on the PS3, PSN. But um, anyways, I'm interested to try this, to experience this remaster and, you know, kind of go into it kind of with fresh mind, you know, fresh eyes, you know, kind of knowing what I do now about it. So, And uh, in the interest of time, we'll kind of have to leave it at that. But yeah, Radical Dreamers edition for Chrono Cross, April 7th for Switch, PS4, Xbox, and PC. 
And then the other game that I introduced uh, that was probably the big highlight for our coverage is Xenoblade 3. Obviously had a big new uh, story trailer for it. it. Was you know People were expecting that we might see this. And depending on how big of a Xenoblade, Xeno Takahashi nut you are, you, there's a lot you can like derive from the trailer. There's some things that are very obvious, like the fact that we see Hyentia, a Hyentia character. Um, we also did get a kind of a letter from Takahashi about the game, about the reveal. And basically in no few, you know, they're not being coy about it. Uh, and in fact, in the official synopsis, they're saying that this is a game that will connect the features of both Xenoblade Chronicles and Chronicles 2. Connect and people, the features. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, that means. I know for a while that people were like kind of assuming that, looking at the ends of Xenoblade 1 and 2, that the worlds had been reconnected, but there was, like, no confirmation. Well, obviously now it there's confirmation. <laughs> well, at the very end of Xenoblade 2, it's like, is this just kind of like a, a, a poor fan's little cameo, kind of like a little bit of fan service, or is this really going to, like, tie together in a certain way? And then with the Xenoblade Chronicles 1 future connected, it seems, and I know Adam actually kind of praised this, mostly standalone and i think we were like thank god we didn't do future connected and see rex or, or pyra or something uh so it, it'll be interesting to see like to what extent this bridges one and two and based on the the wording there future connected the little add-on to xenoblade chronicles one definitive edition how much that'll play a role and like the antagonists there seem to kind of come out of nowhere and return to nowhere so uh it's it's cool, like you know, seeing like a new brand, brand new cast of characters. They all seem pretty cool and interesting in their designs. Like I, I really like the the main character because he looks like um, a mixture between like Flynn. Flynn and then like Macross Frontiers Alto. You know, so I've, I've are, seen a lot oh. of like Flynn plus uh, Tatsuya. Yeah, um, I've, I've seen a lot of here's uh, here's Cold Steel Reen wearing uh, the character <laughs> in, uh, the character in. Um, the main two characters, both shown playing flutes, which seems to be a, like a, a central, like iconic, iconic. Yeah, something cool. Like uh, th those flutes have uh, a similar design to Zanza on them. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so so it's, you remember, it's, you remember so this, right? the premise? It seems like we have like two different One kingdoms. Second, it's like uh, it's characters Noah from each. and Mio are the are the two like yeah, seemingly and, main and, characters. And, so I want to get that out there. Yeah, and they seem to be they seem to be like at odds at first, but you know this even this trailer shows them like playing flutes together so i'm sure that doesn't last that they're at odds with each other but um uh this trailer also seems to show it shows two different masked characters that i'm pretty much everyone has guessed who they are there's a masked hyentia with small wings like what who, who yeah who else who, that who matches that description there's also a person who seems to have like a cat like figure and a cat mask and it's like, who could that be? Well, yeah, and based on what we know, core crystal location as well. Hmm. Oh, I didn't even notice the core crystal stuff, but I'm just going to say it. People are assuming that's Melia people, and Nia. People have been making um, jokes about how the two um, female MCs from uh, one and two, the, the, the got, ones that didn't get the that didn't get cucked. the guy, <laughs> yeah. the elves. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, and it, it, if this takes, I think they even said this play, takes place hundreds of years after. I think that's official. Did they say that, or was that a rumor? Remember, uh, I want to say there was actually when something we're, when specific we're that said this together, years. We had to like grab like what's the official synopsis? What what was in Takahashi's letter? What do we glean <laughs> from the trailer? Uh, and then, but uh, 
it, it would make sense if Melia and Nia are still around because Melia is a Hyantia and Nia is a I forget like what this the term of it. She's some sort of blade thing. I forget. I forget what the she specific have, term was. She a flesh eater or mm, there's or... flesh eater and another type of eater. And I remember yeah. there's a very slight difference, but um, they, they both have long lifespans, so they're around. Yeah. It would make sense. Uh, flesh eater. The like trailer eater, itself it shows a lot of positives. the trailer did not show much combat. And, no, you know, all mostly these combat systems. In the, yeah, and the combat systems in these games get a little bit overwrought and full of UI. Yeah. Um, but so, it shows the it shows a lot of the uh, it showed a lot of the environments and the usual Xenoblade style where you have a character running across a a vista with either like a giant like uh, landscape in the background or a mech or a building and you know it all looks really cool in the very usual Xenoblade style. So yeah, the the this looks. You know, obviously one we're definitely going to keep an eye on, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to be playing it, and September of this year, right? Yeah, we don't have, yeah. we don't have a date, but just September 2022, this year. Can't wait to spend another, like, several hundred hours in a Xenoblade. I, I'm very interested to see what the what the battle system shapes up in this game. Yeah, I'm interested in like the uh, battle mechanics. If there's going to be a blade mechanic, <laughs> are they going to bring that back? Yep. Uh, so what about the field actions? So Go here's ahead, an interesting thing people notice from the footage. There's four party members, like yep. uh, Xenoblade Cross. Hmm. Oh. hmm. <laughs> so Xenoblade Cross still not on Switch. This uh, this will connect. This will uh, the Xenoblade Three will connect X to the rest of the Xenoblade. Uh, they're uh, they're gonna like realize they're on what's it, what's the Xenoblade Cross planet like Mira, Mira is just like yeah. right next door or something. <laughs> yeah. No. Look, we just gotta accept eventually that. Because Xenoblade Cross had the unfortunate misfortune of being on the Wii U and therefore not doing well, it's just dead. We'll never get a we'll never get a conclusion to that cliffhanger. Well, obviously, since the cat girl is now the main girl, there's no point. There's no way she's gonna lose now, right? Uh, uh, depends who the voice actresses. <laughs> we know the Japanese voice actors, like they're listed. I don't know. I don't. I'm not as familiar with those, but I guess that's another, that's another footnote that I feel like we should bring up. Like there was that rumor about like Jenna Coleman having voiced additional lines for a new game. It's like, oh, based on this trailer, well, we're that like, makes I sense. Wonder, I wonder why yeah. that happened. <laughs> so there, there's this Reddit joke I found that if your main heroine's voiced by now Toyama, she's gonna lose ninety percent of the time. No. Does she voice Mio in this game? No, I don't think so. Um, do we oh, do no, we get voice know. actors for either language? I don't think we uh, did. We got we got the Japanese ones. Let me pull. Oh, it up. I didn't realize um, that we did. I think it's yeah. just from the website. It feels like this is pretty common where um, Japanese voice actors are revealed right right away, like as soon as they're it's announced. Um, but then English usually comes later. She is voiced by Minami Suda. Okay, so your odds are pretty okay. Yeah, they're pretty okay then. <laughs> she always gets the guy. Um, let's see the the uh, other other uh, things to note. Um, that you know, a uh, character designer from Two is coming back for this. Uh, Matsuku Saito, he's going to be returning for the character design, and then the character know, designs the in general, I think, are really good. Oh, the, yeah. I I'm I don't watch that much anime in Japanese. Um, but the one voice actor I actually recognize is Yuni is Megumi Han. Oh uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay. I, I know Megumi Han is the voice of um, uh, Gone from Hunter x Hunter. That's what I, I know I, her from. I don't watch Hunter <laughs> x Hunter. I just know. Her I know she's as, in a lot of those other stuff. I just <laughs> know her as the replacement voice of Sailor Mass in in the new Gundam Origin kind of uh, 
sore. And I found she did a fantastic job because the old VA was gone a long time ago. So, yeah. And then, and then you know, the, they also in the director's letter also showed off like you know Matsuda is going to be returning along with you know Manami Kyoda, Ace, uh, Kenji Hiramatsu, and uh, Miriam. Uh, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the other their last name Abu Nasser. Yeah, don't know. Yeah, but. Uh, this is sort of something that we're expecting. I think we're kind of getting it. I, like, I would have guessed that this would have been a holiday season game, like November, but no, September, so pretty early. Always seems like a kind of a good spot for big RPGs is in that, like, September, early October time frame. So I think this will fit really well, Com- especially compared to Xenoblade 2, which didn't that end up releasing, like, halfway through December or early December? I don't remember, but it was way later in the year. One thing I do hope is that Xenoblade Chronicles 2, when it first released, it was... I don't know if people remember, but it was kind of rough in terms of performance and like some UI and quality of life stuff that they got those things got like added kind of almost like hotfixes yeah, for the yeah. first two months. So I'm kind of hoping that for some or Persona Xenoblade 3 kind of comes in in a little bit steadier state. I agree with you. So there's a few other things like those are the big three hitters of the Nintendo Direct, the Live Alive, Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and Chrono Cross, the Radical Dreamers. Um, Jess, was there any other specific part of the Nintendo Direct that you thought was really interesting that we should go to next? Mm, I mean, not in particular that stood out to me. I mean, yeah, Xenoblade seems like it was the big one. Um, there was the Fire Emblem Warriors one, but then uh, that is a spinoff, so... Mm. Well, Kirby was pretty interesting, but I'm not sure if that really qualifies as an RPG. <laughs> it, it does. I've, I've enjoyed all like the Kirby car, Kirby whatever memes. <laughs> Those are a bit fun. They already have an week. official pin for it. Oh, I, I'm not surprised, you know. Uh, but we can go uh, into Fire Emblems. So, did you? I assume then you played Three Houses. Oh yeah, I did. Um, that one's well. It was the first. They started off with it. It's just like I wrote, wrote the news bit on it for the website I was working for at the time. So I was like, okay, well. Um, I think the interesting thing about it is that, like, you know, it is a spinoff, but the thing about Warrior spinoffs is that it's kind of like an alternate universe where, um, like, for example, people who are dead could be, um, like, together with the with other characters or, like, you know, interactions that wouldn't be able to happen. Yeah, and we, and we saw game. that with Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity. So I just knew, I do need to give the lead here. And that's basically the announcement that Jess was talking about that Alex also kind of preempted is that Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes is basically another entry in the Nintendo-themed Warriors games. It is releasing on Switch on June 24th. And I don't know if this is official or just gleaned from the trailer because it seems pretty obvious. It seems like it takes place during the time skip in yeah. Fire Emblem Three Houses, which then leads to like what Jess is introducing, where it's like, wait, why is Byleth there? Because shouldn't she be, she or he be in like a river <laughs> or something like that? Uh, so that seems to be the kind of like the premise setting of this game is kind of a, a non-canon. What if you know what you know? It's kind of weird because it's like bridging the gap with story content that was obviously skipped over during the time skip, but also in a way where it can't be too significant because it ends up being seemingly non-canon. Uh, well, it it well, might end up just being like a, like a totally different outcome of the. Right. Yeah. At this point, I but. don't necessarily think it could, it could be an alternate canon because one thing mm-hmm. to consider is that three houses was Koei Tecmo. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a good point same, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, ha- I have seen some memes about like the three Lord characters, how their design looks like a halfway step between their like student and time skip designs where like people have made memes that they look like, you know, their Pokemon like chart, like <laughs> starter mid level and uh, the, their time they're skip the, design. Being, like, their, their, uh, yeah. So they're, they're in their middle evolutions right now or in this warriors game. It looked, people just, I don't know if there's any confirmation on that, but just sort of how they look, like their hairstyle and their armor and their weapon. Jess, so. did you uh, did you play Hyrule Warriors, either one? Um, I did not, actually. I just uh, did kind of know tangentially from, like, watching gameplay and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at, where I've watched a little bit of the original Fire Emblem Warriors. I watched my brother play Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity a little bit. Fire Emblem Warriors, I'm only really interested in seeing like what other people's takes are, like people who really like warrior games or really like specifically the Nintendo like recent partnerships with Koei Tecmo. But like other than that, I'm not I'm I'm not interested in playing this just really at all. And I'm kind of with uh, Alex where it was just like I was hoping for another Fire Emblem game. I was hoping for the genealogy of the holy war remake or or even like just a straight up sequel but uh, this is i i guess if those you know this if this is something that kind of fills the gap kind of like how age of calamity is bridging between or at least bridging the time between breath of the wild one and whatever its sequel ends up being but uh i'm interested to see what people's takes are on this or whether it'll be kind of maligned like age of calamity sort of was is there really anything else to dive into here on this well, not really. I mean, it's, it's right. just uh, it's a new Fire Emblem uh, Warrior, the three houses cast. That's kind of the long yeah, and short of for it. For people who care about this sort of stuff, it seems to have female Byleth and not male Byleth, which I don't know if that's like the first confirmation of which one is, quote, canon. Um, like, she's the one on the cover art, you know. Rip male Byleth. Well, it's because everyone played female Byleth. So, I mean. Not me. <laughs> Did I? I don't remember. I don't, I don't think so. I, did I, think, I think it. Yeah, I think male. And I, yeah, I did male. I I played through the game four times, so I switched it up because I'm a loser. The original game, and I don't like the name Three Hopes. It's just too close to like. What other word can we substitute in to like uh, uh, to make this very? I wonder clear what is it called? Three Hopes in Japan as well. That's a good question. Uh, I remember the original game. In Japanese, three houses like its Japanese title is like it's it's like a it's like it's like a it, it was it, something it, about basically like, like four seasonal season, like yeah because it yeah. was like four routes and whatnot so. and, and it and it was like done with like four different kanji and like a more like a poetic way I guess yeah and so three houses was totally just like a localization thing like we can't we can't do this and we can't do this poetry kanji thing in English so let's do uh you know three houses and now we go three hopes called in uh, japan it's literally fire emblem muso and then the, t- the japanese title for uh three houses ah uh, all right so there are obviously several other games at the nintendo direct that maybe we can kind of just like rapid fire through uh in the interest of time since we kind of got upended by our surprise cameo from alex which i was totally happy to do uh but there's like I kind of preempted at the very start of this podcast two hour, two and a half hours ago, uh, these things end up being kind of jam-packed for our site's coverage. So also thank you to Adam and everyone else who was uh, there, like Andrea as well, and all the people who helped gather like the screenshots and the, the artwork during the Nintendo Direct to get it all up on the site. Uh, we got a release date for Advance Wars 1 Plus 2 Reboot Camp. It is coming out on April 8th. That was obviously delayed from its original date. Uh, it was originally supposed to come out last year, right? But then got delayed into this year nebulously. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, it was supposed, supposed to be really... like holiday, I think. Yeah, December 3rd. And then it got delayed to just like a nebulous early 2022, uh, April 8th. Um, we got a new trailer for it. It's mostly the, the news here is the release date. People are still going to be kind of contentious on the art style of it. It has kind of like the the new Super Mario Bros. take on art where it's like, I right, bring back the sprites. I, I don't know. Uh, but as a fan of, you know, intelligent systems, and even though this is way forwards take on it, uh, I am interested in this game because I did, I did, I only ever played the original Advance Wars and it was like forever ago, like 20 years ago. So yeah, another, I mean, uh, an, another one that we're filling in on the calendar. Uh, and, for, and this was also kind of brought up by Alex a little bit earlier. Uh, we got n- the announcement of the remake of front mission one now i don't know much about front mission so this is called front mission first remake uh who has played the original game here anyone i have i have all right so like i don't know much about this series other than that it features oh, mine the artwork for this series um <laughs> what is it has anyone played arc the lad yeah dude arc the lad 2 is so sick hell yeah oh yeah that, that's one of my favorite games of all time but it's made by the same uh developer and yep. it was published by square um so it's like a was it? It's a grid tile strategy game, and you get to customize your mech. And it's a little different because in most you know tactics games made in those era, your progression's always you get stronger. But here there is like because you use a Panzer, which is the mechs in this game. Wander, or well, yeah, German mm-hmm. pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you use them, it's you know there's always some kind of balance. It's like oh, this thing is a little stronger, but you'll lose a lot of speed equipping this thing. So there's a lot of balance and twinkering that you need to get used to right okay think about like like the 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 part uh, how parts affect armored core mechs and then that's kind of how it's translated to the strategy rpg and then you have to think about uh taking off and disabling specific parts of a mech through a strategy rpg combat saying okay uh, like this this part on a mech is a threat i need to get rid of it asap essentially and uh like prioritizing like what your objectives are in that mission like what are the what are the most threatening things in that in a certain mission and making sure okay i need to like prioritize this part on an enemy mech first of all you know terrain affects things as well yeah it's a lot different than the norm for its time um there is a fan translation out for the super nintendo it's a little kind of rough i think that's what people know it back for but there is a fan translation if people want to go over it then if you're not interested in that there is also a ds uh port that has a full english translation from square um yeah front, front mission is fairly it's like you know the way it progresses is fairly like you know standard like you know on how like level based uh, but i remember front mission second was a little bit more different and weird in the way it progressed and they already have confirmed that they're also remaking front mission second as well yeah, yeah. So, uh, like the, the full announcement here is that front mission first remake will be available in the summer undated and then they're also working on front mission two remake also of course not dated yeah, so about a year ago or so, we got like an announcement from Forever Entertainment that basically they would be remaking. I, th- I forget what word they used, but they would basically be remaking some Square Enix games. And people were like, you know, speculating what it could be um, and, you know, of all sorts. But it uh, turns out those remakes that they were talking about a year ago were the front mission games. And they're, we know they're doing the first two. The first one... Um, does the first one have a date that we mentioned, or is it just summer? Summer. 
Okay, and then there's a second one coming later. Uh, so it's not a pack. I was I almost thought like the trailer also advertised it as like a pack. I don't know. I was no, kind of it, it was weird that the trailer kind of announced both games, but they're separate things. And it's maybe worth mentioning that these games are Switch exclusive, but they're not published by Nintendo and they're not published by Square Enix either. They're actually published by Forever Entertainment. So it's it's a little bit of an un- unusual situation where it seems like. F- Forever Entertainment is like licensing the IP name from Square Enix, and it's still a Switch exclusive. So it's kind of a. I imagine you know, it'll be like kind of like Panzer Dragoon, where it's a tied exclusive on Switch, and it'll come back to, come to yeah. other platforms later. So it's not like Live Alive, where it's actually published by Nintendo. Yeah, and that one might come to other platforms later, regardless. You know, like Octopath did. Um, yeah, so I mean, or Bravely. This is really exciting to see. I'm looking really looking forward to it. And you know, Front Mission, hell of a series. Uh, would love to see them do more, and hopefully, this is successful. Um, yeah, um, I think the most exciting part is we actually get to play the second game in English for the first time ever. Right? Yeah, yeah, I only played that like the Japanese. <laughs> yeah, people Japanese. don't really like the original too because it was really sluggish. It was really slow, and mm-hmm. maybe there's a lot of quality of life that will improve. That yeah, maybe. I wonder what they're gonna do to two because it's it's definitely not my favorite in the series, but the first one, very solid game. Uh, even the third one, the third one's extremely long. Oh, game. Yeah. Mission Four, though, hell of a game. And there's also Five. Five is so good. Five is known as the best one. Five is so good. Fuck. I I hope we get somehow get there. Oh my god. It's like we need to get those PS2 HD remasters or something. You know, open the room for maybe the Xeno Saga remaster that we all hope for. (laughs) Okay. You know, shooting for the sky. couple other games that were uh, announced on the direct that uh, I guess this one is kind of in a similar vein because it also features mechs. Uh, we got the announcement of SD Gundam Battle Alliance. And even though this is announced at the Nintendo Direct, it was also revealed to be launching for PlayStation, Xbox, Switch and PC. So kind of similar to um, Chrono Cross. Uh, I have to hand this over to like I have to. I'm sorry, Josh. I have to hand this over to you. Uh, <laughs> SD Gundam Battle Alliance. Like, uh-huh. I don't know anything of this other than it lists like 18 different Gundam series that are represented here all in this like chibi art style. Yeah, I mean, it's I like know, it's, what I know is that SD stands for super deformed. So there I you know. go. That Hell checks yeah. out. The more you know. So yeah, this I mean, this is, is a, your... uh, an action RPG. Yes, this is action RPG. You, st- you run with a party of three. It's like a hack and slash uh i don't know if it's as like uh, like a dynasty warriors but it's certainly in that uh, similar vein um and you're upgrading stats as you uh go along uh with them we only got a very very brief look but it, it's definitely uh adapting you know the storylines of uh quite a handful of uh gundam series in it so you're following the stories of that and they already confirmed that's just gonna be like you know you can do a multiplayer and online multiplayer uh in this so it's just like a, it looks to be a cute little fun time. Um, can't really much uh, say much more about it because they it was only a very brief uh, teaser trailer. But it's what you expect out of like a, a Gundam action game, and hopefully it it's very fun. Um, they you know they showed off like the original Gundam, they showed off the Gundam Unicorn, they showed off the Freedom Gundam. You know just what you would expect out of a Gundam. Game. I think I think the the. Uh, the most exciting thing about it is like I wonder what the roster looks like because they have a lot of like classic UC era, and then you also have like some of the more uh, outlandish Gundam uh, series out there, like G Gundam. You have uh, Gundam X, Turn A Gundam in there. 
and then you have your uh, even G Reco and Iron Blooded Orphans. So, no, I'm, it's uh, it's cool. I'm kind of surprised that there is no PC port or anything of like the Gundam versus Gundam series from Namco. Or I don't know, yeah. they're so weird about where where Gundam is. I I really hope this one is good though. I I'm very interested in learning more about it, and I, I want to get my hands on it. It looks like a fun time. And it's uh, l- 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 sorry, can't speak. It's listed to come out this year, 2022, but no specific window or date. What was that Gundam game that came out a few years ago that was PC exclusive in the West? Crossrays? Yeah, G Generation. Yeah, is there a reason why that would be PC exclusive in the West, but this one isn't? Like, is there some licensing thing? I don't know exactly why they they had. I I can't. I remember. I can't, Crossrays came out on PlayStation 4 and Switch, but only in like Japan and Asia. In, in the West, it was PC only. And I just assumed there's some licensing thing where it's if it's like not on a store shelf, it's easier to sell or something. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Because there's one of those, also one of those games that like it got a console release, but only in like in Southeast Asia for a console. Right. Game. I just said yeah. that. But it's yeah, so yeah. I was wondering, I was wondering yeah. why that would be restricted to PC in the West, where this one seems to be, you know. I'm, I, I mean, uh, that, that, I mean, G Generation Crossroads also had like a premium sound pack in the in the console releases. I don't know if that was offered here. I don't remember off the top of my head. It was if that premium sound pack was offered here in the West, and then and it might have been like some weird transition period where Bandai Namco was kind of like testing the waters because they finally like they they finally breached that door open with Super Robot Wars Thirty by offering the sound pack in the West, but it was only for the PC release as well because that only got a PC release in the West. Wow. Mm-hmm. In Southeast Asia, that also got console releases. So yeah, I mean, I like know. obviously there's some legal thing, but what it is specifically, I, I have know. yeah, I have no idea what well, what's the big mm-hmm. distinguisher between those series and mm-hmm. now here. Like maybe the SD Gundam yeah. license lets them like bypass that. I have no idea. Now, whenever we're well, before we go and continue on, on, no, before I continue on, I wanted just to mention that Jess had to had to head out. All right, so, so the the schedule you, for this podcast got a little bit upended, like I said, but oh, we're fine with yeah. that. So Jess had to step out, but we uh, we will reconvene with her with a game that we're going to probably plan on talking about next week. And of course, as I have to say this, go ahead and give her Arceus review a read up on the site. Yep. And whenever we uh, cover Nintendo Directs, one thing that one of our contributors, Kite Steinbuck, always makes sure to do is to keep a keen eye out on any differences between the English version of the Nintendo Direct and the Japanese version, because usually always there are one or two things that are independent to either one or the other. In this case, uh, it turns out that the Advance Wars news was absent from the uh, from the Japanese Nintendo Direct, and in exchange, uh, they revealed the announcement of another new RPG. And... This one is stylized as Loop 8. I don't know if it's pronounced like that or just Loop. But this is a, uh, seems like, based on the trailer, a turn-based JRPG that was announced for Japan only for uh, PS4, Xbox One, and Switch. Uh, I don't know much about this, but we also got like a list of the key staff members working on it. It's got composers from the it's, Ace Attorney It's series. Marvelous, right? Uh, yes, it is Marvelous. Is it a Marvelous game? Yeah, so, like... Yeah. You'd be you'd be keeping an eye on like XE to for localization at some point if it gets one. Well, I imagine it would. If it gets one, the funniest way you can uh, like announce a localization for your JRPG without actually announcing it is saying it's getting an Xbox One port. Oh, is I it? Is it? What are the? Yeah. That is true. Yeah, that is yeah, true. It's releasing on Xbox One in Japan. So maybe. So yeah, maybe yeah. Give us a rundown of, of the stuff you were getting to that. Uh, it's got uh, Noriyuki Iwadare <laughs> from Ace Attorney. 
um, game design from Yuri Shimura. Oh, and Grandia. Uh, and then some uh, concept art from Kitsunero. And uh, so a lot, a lot of uh, history here from like VTubers and Vocaloids. And I guess also uh, the theme song singer, Naho Kwisu. I don't know who this person is, but they performed at the Winter Olympics just this year. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, and we got yeah. a Japanese trailer. Uh, it's about two minutes of footage, mostly just establishing the story. But it does actually show some gameplay. Uh, I don't speak the language, of course. So unfortunately, I can't glean much more than just the visuals are showing. Uh, it takes place in a school setting. Kite actually used the word uh, juvenile as a juvenile RPG just to kind of establish what the setting is. So kind of kind of that's pretty common for that's what that's what they call it in Japan. Right. And it's, so basically, juvenile. it's just establishing that it has some sort of that like uh, persona sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has that sort of art style as well. But it did not show up in the English Direct. Uh, even in Japan, it doesn't have a release date other than this year. Uh, but just keep an eye on it because we that obviously, as we've kind of implied, we saw it here in the Japanese Direct first. But I wouldn't be surprised if within a few months, we kind of like with Monarch last year, we end up hearing about its localization efforts uh, just a little bit delayed. But yeah, again, I, I think, I think Loop the- 8. Yeah, the most alluring thing about the, this RPG, like, you know, first impression, it's like there's a time travel mechanic where players have to go back in time. They, but it'll be able to alter the future somehow in this game. And I think it's a it's an interesting high theory because they, they specifically mentioned it's at a Japanese rural town in August 1983. And, like, being able to, like, pinpoint a specific point in time for, for that is, like, really cool. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I like the idea of it being set in the 80s. I don't yeah. Know, I just like that. Me too. Like, enough with this retro future, or enough with this like future, near future time. Let's go back to the 80s. Or, yeah, or, or even retro future, just fuck it, 80s. <laughs> yeah, just 80s. Do it. That was it for the major RPG news from the uh, Nintendo Direct. A few things that we'll just kind of rapid fire through here. Uh, we obviously knew about the release date and the release details of Triangle Strategy, which is coming out in early March. Um, there's a new demo available, and similar to the demo for Octopath Traveler, if I remember correctly, the progress will transfer over to the full game. So I, the the earlier demo, you played through, I believe, chapters six and seven. Now you can play through the first three chapters and the progress can be transferred over. So that is available now. The feedback on that has been interesting from people who've gotten their hands on it. Yeah, I really like the original demo. I hear basically my impression of the feedback of this demo is that, God, there's a lot of dialogue and a lot of story and it's maybe not great <laughs> just the ba- the balance between story and gameplay seems to be kind of kind of taking some people by surprise at least that's my impression reading what people have been thinking haven't played it myself yet though uh we also got new additions to the nintendo switch online library namely uh earthbound beginnings and earthbound or mother one and mother two I, in japan i remember when this was when the, when this was being shown like in that moment, those like 10 seconds of like, are they going to say and Earthbound 3 or Earthbound 2 or Mother 3 or whatever? Like, were they going to like drop it there? Some like shock surprise. But no, they didn't. No, just they, do. they don't need to. They need to keep keep it as a meme, just like Duke Nukem Forever. Because once it's released, it's no longer special. I don't know. Duke Nukem Forever <laughs> is still kind of a meme. <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, so these are available on Switch online as of the Nintendo Direct. And uh, I'm kind of like, I want to play these. I don't want to pay for Switch Online, <laughs> but it's they're good. They're good titles. Get them on Wii catalog. U. Are they there? 
Oh, I guess uh, I think you can get them on Virtual Console. I don't, I, I don't on Wii U. know why I asked that because I don't have a Wii U. Like, oh wow, they're on Wii U. Okay, that, that's helpful for me. Uh, but yeah, no, these are these are good games to have on the, uh, the Nintendo Switch Online catalog. So obviously not complaining at all. And then we got uh, I don't know was this announced like in the Nintendo Direct or just alongside? Uh, did so I wasn't able to watch the Nintendo Direct live, and there was a lot of things that were announced kind of like concurrently with it. Uh, Chocobo GP. Did this show up in the Nintendo Direct or no? Okay, or that, okay. So in the in Japanese, Japanese Direct. N- in Nintendo Direct, they announced Cloud and Squall as characters. And then Square Enix tweeted about these in English, but they used weird wording that they didn't use, that they haven't used since, where it's like, you can get Cloud as part of the season pass. Now, when I see season pass, I think like DLC. That's, mm-hmm. that's what the word season pass usually means. Like, wait, Cloud is DLC? But no, it's more like a seasonal prize pass or a battle so a, pass. A battle pass battler. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but they call it a prize pass now. Like if you go to the website now, basically Square Enix actually posted a blog post the day after the direct that gave more details. Um it's like so the thing is with Chocobo GP is that it's a it, it's a game you can buy, but it's also a game you can play for free. So it's like a free to play game. So it's got some of these free-to-play oh, limitations and mechanics in it. Oh, I had no idea and, it's free-to-play also. Okay. Yeah, there's like a light version that gives you like the multiplayer and some of the story. But um, yeah, you in the first season, and the seasons take like two months, um, one, Squall can be purchased from the shop. So however you can get Gil in the game, you can just buy Squall. But it sounds like he's going to be limited, so you have to buy him before the season ends. But Cloud, he's more like a seasonal prize. Like you do enough races and get enough points or whatever and then you can I love earn FOMO. him. So so when they say he's like part of the season pass, it's not like DLC, it's like a seasonal battle pass or racing pass. Uh, specifically they call it a prize pass now. So it was very confusing when Square said season pass cuz it's not what we typically associate with season pass. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's what they announced. It was not in the English direct, it kind of came out from Square Enix on Twitter and their blog the day after. So in English. I, I thought the wording was so weird. First of all, this game is releasing uh, March 10th. Um, like, not interested in Chocobo GP? Let's change that. Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy VII joins the race in Season 1. He'll be a Season Pass exclusive award reward. <laughs> it just seems like... Yeah. That is funny. Not, they didn't really say not interested in the question yes. mark. Not <laughs> yeah. interested. So it's like, not interested? Well, we can leverage FOMO if you want Cloud. It's like what? Like I don't know. It just kind of turns me off. Like all right. Even though I, really I think cool. I think this this is obviously the kart racing style game. Uh, I kind of love that the, where kart racing is these days, dude. On like other battle pass reward the model. Like I remember Crash Team Racing and how they handled that. Well, it's interesting that this was like yeah, this is. It's go ahead. I was just gonna. This is a little bit of a tangent, but um, I wasn't really expecting Mario Kart Eight Deluxe to get more DLC. And granted, it's like remastered like stuff. 9. Yeah, granted, it's like remastered stuff from earlier games, but still, it's like it's like forty eight more tracks. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, that's crazy amount. Like, the, but you said yeah, four, like years, four years, years later, later or whatever. What? <laughs> yeah, that, uh, I mean, like for people who like play Mario Kart, like, and they they love it. That's like a really good value deal. It's twenty five bucks. Hey, it's like, hey, I, I already own this game. I own a Switch. Like, yeah. hey, if I I can pay whatever it is, I I don't know what the price was, like nineteen ninety nine or whatever it is. Yeah, it's like twenty five for. 
for you know more content for this game that I like to play at every party or whatever. Sure, like yeah. that, that's a seems like that's a smart cool. decision for me. It, to it, me. It'd be really cool to see like how your favorite tracks, like uh, like you know, obviously they didn't like port it one to one. It's like they kind of yeah went all over it and like try to more modernize it, make it look great. You know, mm-hmm. that's really cool. No. Really cool. Good job, Mario Kart. And not too. often you see a game get like new DLC like four years later or whatever yeah, it was. It's still, it's a game still, like that. Yeah, this game is still on mm-hmm. fire all these years. Mm-hmm. And I think the very last thing for the Nintendo Direct is one that we didn't cover on our site because it's more of an adventure game or maybe even a visual novel. Uh, and that is, it is a Square Enix title. And that is the Centennial Case, a Shijima story coming out for Switch, PS4, uh, PS5, and PC. And I know this was This was interesting that... because um, it was shown in the Japanese Direct and not in the English Direct, but Square Enix basically announced the english version right afterwards so uh so like we people saw it in the japanese direct and like i know some people were like i want that and then square enix is like well you can have it here it is and so it, well, it is coming out in english and like well May. tell me what what is it just wasn't in the direct um, uh josh might be better to do that <laughs> what is this game, josh? live action visual novel yeah the, yeah there's a like live action mystery adventure game so uh, it uses all like you know live action actors and it's uh basically uh like solving mysteries and it's like kind of like it, it, it's like how um yeah it's kind of it's kind of like 4 to 8 but it has like actual like moving actors it's not like screenshots of live uh, live people or live locations so it's kind of almost presented like a tv show but you're you're do- the one doing the investigating and then strategics has like a pretty good thorough trailer and how the gameplay uh uh is surrounded by because it's like a lot of like social deduction on the fly, uh, as you're piecing, uh, uh, like evidence and, uh, piecing the story together. It's a, it's a really, really cool trailer. I recommend people, um, give it a shot. If that, uh, sounds appealing to you, it's a, it's probably the, even though it wasn't shown in the, in the Western direct, it's probably the, uh, the one game that really caught my eye. And like, even though it's not an RPG, I, I still do want to cover it to some extent on the site when it comes out. And, um, because I really want to explore it for myself. I really like. I think this has the writer four two eight. Their name escapes me off the top of my head, and I love four two eight. Shibuya Scramble, and uh, it's such a it's such a really really bizarre thing of Square Enix to like publish like a big budget one of these sorts of like niche genre type games. It just came out of nowhere too. Uh, yeah, it, it reminds it reminds me a little bit of uh, Izanagi Games as uh, Death Come True, which came out mm-hmm. several years ago. And did we get a release date for this? Yes, we did. Uh, May 12th, worldwide. So outside of the Nintendo Direct, uh, we did have a few other pieces of news. And uh, in the interest of time, we'll probably just have to kind of like rapid fire these. A lot of these are release dates or delays or things like that, or maybe a new trailer. Um, So these will just kind of like, you know, just kind of go through these, give them their due diligence. Uh, Edge of Eternity which was a kind of an indie JRPG-inspired game that released in the middle of last year, uh, was really, was developed by Midgard Studio. Uh, they were acquired by, I keep forgetting how to pronounce this, Nason, the French publishing agency that ended up grabbing um, uh, Spider. I think it is Nacon. 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 So the, they're kind of like the French yeah. equivalent of Embracer Group, only maybe not quite as big. Uh, they're, they're, they're a little bit more hobo. Um, oh, what, <laughs> that's, the, what, what? that's that's the adjective you what? go for. 
I love it. <laughs> what they are is like they're actually like they, they what they what they like specialize in are like peripherals, like controllers and stuff. And then they're like, man, well, we can publish games too. So they have a few developers under their belt now. And they're all most of them are French. I think they have like they acquired like eleven French publishers or developers oh, is recently. Studio or also French. Yes, it's it's oh, okay. it's not a JRPG. It's like a French well, JRPG. Well, for, I, 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 I was careful to say JRPG inspired. I just didn't realize that Midgard was also French, being developed, being acquired by a French publisher. So, yep, that's just a little yep, footnote. French publisher, French publisher acquiring a French studio. Yep, cool. And I believe um, Edge of so that, Eternity, yeah, Edge of Eternity on, uh, came out on. It came out on PC like last summer after an early access period, and then it it like literally just came out for consoles. Um, and it's on Game Pass. Here, but I I don't think any of us have played it. But what, from what I broadly I hear that like the combat systems in it are actually pretty darn good. It's like turn based, like with some positioning, almost like a Wild Arms four or five. But uh, I hear that some of the story stuff is pretty just you know typical JRPG, like you know exactly what you expect. So. That's what I hear. That's just, you know, impressions. I wish we could spend more time on this next one. Uh, but we did finally, this is something that I thought we had kind of admitted defeat on, but got a localization announcement for something I wasn't sure we'd ever get. And that is Octopath Traveler Champions of the Continent. It is coming to North America and Europe this year in 2022 with a beta test uh, set for spring with more information to come at some point in uh february so some point this month and i wonder if it'll work on apple tv because i would actually prefer to play it there if it can and make use out of your apple tv investment yeah i don't know the kind of interesting thing about this announcement was that it was made in a japanese live stream for like the 2.0 version where they're you know obviously adding a bunch of stuff um and i think like an english twitter account showed up but i don't know if like square enix like themselves like on their English, on their standard English channels, like ever really mentioned it. So kind of like a under the radar sort of announcement from them. Um, uh, I wonder, I've if, heard, I wonder if the Romancing Saga uh, mobile game has been doing well in the West because it seems like they've been, it seems like their mobile division, at least in the West, has been handled a little bit better recently. We haven't had anything like the Anamnesis shit in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Broadly, there's one thing about the Octopath mobile game that seems to be really interesting to me, just from like a game design standpoint, is that uh, instead of like the game being separated by your protagonist, like the original, you had eight separate sort of stories that we talked about earlier when we we're talking about Live Alive. In the mobile game, which is a prequel, it um, there's three different storylines, but they're separated by antagonist. So what that means is your characters in the game, as well as like the ones you recruit or whatever, they are allowed to interact more because it's not, they're not so siloed off from each other because their, their stories aren't separate. It's just like this, the stories revolve around the villains instead. And I heard it just kind of handles it a little bit better with that sort of design philosophy in terms of how this story is like split up. Also, you can have like eight characters in battle. So I guess it probably gets a little bit more involved on the mechanical side too. Um, however, I will probably not play this because it's a mobile game and I just don't. It's okay. Hey. Uh, I'll play the mobile games. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to play it because I've heard that the way that weapons work in it is it's just you just buy them in shops and towns like before, yeah, and then, right, your free currency. Yeah, you, you got your characters and whatnot. So. You don't really need them for, yeah, uh, yeah. 
for the story. So, I mean, if if I just want to play it to play it, I mean, Octopath had a good battle system. I have no idea exactly mm-hmm. how, how, how Power Curve works in this game. I don't really keep up with it, but I heard really good things about it. I like how um, James was saying, like, I wonder if this would be on Apple TV because you make use of that. I, for when I was playing through Fantasian, which really it is kind of a mobile game, but also playable on Apple TV. Uh, I I played that all on my iPhone, and I got the backbone like controller for it. So I'm like another excuse to use my controller peripheral for my phone, yeah. maybe if it, if it's compatible, which I have no idea if it is. But uh, yeah, so we'll this year at some point there'll be a beta test at some point. None of the details have been ironed out yet, but hopefully soon. All right, really quick rundown here of some of the other news from this week. Uh, Scarlet Nexus added both a free update that included like a photo mode and a very hard mode, as well as a new DLC called the Brain Eater Pack, which included like a new optional boss fight that was based on the anime. And I know if you Adam have it, if you don't this... remember the Brain Eater, the Brain Eater is Karen. Like that's his nickname. Yeah. If you forgot, so. And you basically power. you basically played this and said it was basically like an hour of cutscenes in a battle. Like it's. Yeah, so like this DLC is $7, which honestly, it's probably not like worth that. But I actually did find it somewhat like interesting and satisfying that it basically is like an hour of scenes um, kind of focusing on Karin in terms of slight spoilers or actually major spoilers for Scarlet Nexus here. Um, major spoilers. Major spoilers. If you, if you manage to stay this long in this podcast, here I am going to spoil Scarlet Nexus for you if you haven't played it already. It basically shows like how his first few time travel loops to the past went for him and kind of how he's figuring out like what he's going to do to save Alice. And then also like what he does at the very end of the game. If you don't remember, he like basically disappears and then Alice shows up. So kind of what happens there. Um, and so I actually found it kind of satisfying. It's not like anything new. It's not like something big and epic, like brand new, you know, it's not even most of it's not even playable, but like it was, I found it kind of just an interesting sort of supplement, which is what a DLC should be, I suppose. Also, I wasn't really expecting this. There are some cutscenes that are like the fully animated, modeled, like sequenced cutscenes in this DLC. Oh, some budget that are pretty it. good. Yeah, so not just the, you're telling me uh, I should YouTube the, this. Not just the comic book stuff. Yeah, I, yeah, you can just YouTube this if you want. I figure. Um, so it's like it was, you know, it's it's interesting enough. Probably, like I said, admittedly, probably not worth $7, but um, for the boss fight or whatever you get with it. But just kind of like a little bonus for people who want it a little bit more, which seems fine for like final DLC. Uh, Neo 2 has surpassed two and a half million units. Uh, best game of the year it released in, good in game. my opinion. Yeah, Neo 2 is good. You mm-hmm. should play it. What is uh, the uh, Neo team working on now? Did they announce Stranger? Right? It's not, it's not Stranger of Paradise, right? No, that's the Dissidia team. It's um, I know that they were wanting to make like a Ninja Gaiden type game, but I don't think it is Ninja Gaiden. Anyway, they're working on something. It's not an RPG, as far as we know. So last year, uh, like in May or so, we did uh, talk about the early access release of the PC version of. Getsafuma done on Dying Moon. And as far as I know, it's been an early yeah, from Konami. It's been in early access since then. And then it was kind of surprise announced that it was leaving early access and launching next week on the 17th, and is also available on Nintendo Switch. So kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, I forgot that this had but we did talk about this on the podcast uh 
uh, last year, but I'd kind of completely forgotten about it. Yeah, but I want to check this out, but man, I'm so deep into Lost Ark. <laughs> I want to check this out. Yeah, so that is available basically uh, on Switch and PC, uh, full release, the 1.0 release on February 17th. Uh, now we basically got a lot more dates that I've kind of filtered in over the over the week. Uh, Final Fantasy VI Pixel Remaster. This is the one that we've been waiting on for a while. I'm kind of wondering when this one would finally land. We talked about this a little bit when Alex showed up about the uh, the art style shifts and things like that. Uh, it is releasing on February 23rd. And no, even though people were maybe expecting it, still PC and mobile exclusive for now. We're hoping, some people were hoping for Switch announcement. Uh, maybe during the direct uh did not happen at least not yet but it'll be available on pc and mobile on february 23rd uh, a lot a lot of uh opinions uh from the screenshots that were released uh, for this uh pixel remaster mm-hmm. a lot of i've grown feelings. i've grown to like like the pixel art for the characters in these you know they're Why all is little... the green so yeah. neon one thing I I noticed about like the and I think she might have said it in an interview, but for the pixel art for the characters, uh, what's her name, Kazuya Shibuya, um, is making made a few tweaks to them so that they slightly match like the Amano art a little bit more in terms of like color and um, things like that. And I know some people are maybe a little bit put off put by that because they're different than what they were. Like for example, I think like Realm in Final Fantasy VI is shown to have more of like a pink color where she's more red in the original um, uh, game, but like her Amano arc, there's a little bit more pink. So things like that. I, I'm going to like the pixel art for the characters, but right. There's this one screenshot. Um, is that Narsh, the town that Terra's near there? Um, and then like the grass is like a neon Chernobyl green. It's really kind of weird. And then, like the, the Final Fantasy V and four and the other pixel masters didn't really have that. So it seems especially strange. There's matching Terra's hair, man. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, I think I've mentioned this before. Final Fantasy VI is like the one Final Fantasy game. I played it. I played it when the GBA version came out like 17, 20 years ago, whenever that was. Um, so it's been a while. So I'm interested to revisit it. I really liked it at the time, of course. Um, but, you know, just we'll see now that I'm older and wiser. Yeah, the, this is one of my favorite FF, uh, Final Fantasy entries, so... I mm-hmm. uh, I definitely want to revisit it for sure. And in the, uh, they they tweeted out Hera's theme with the new re- rendition, Remix. and it sounds yeah, it sounds great. So a short delay here. Uh, the Cruel King and the Great Hero. This is from Nifanichi and Nice America. Uh, was originally supposed to launch on March first, like the first week of March. It got delayed about ten days. It'll now launch on March eleventh in Europe, March fifteenth in North America. So basically just moving from early March to mid-March on that game is uh, releasing yeah. for Switch and PS4. My assumption, they didn't give it a reason, but my assumption is probably just some like supply chain thing where they just have to, to get it to the retailers is taking them longer than they thought or whatever. Yeah, that makes That's sense. my guess. I mean, something, weeks, something small. Yeah. Yeah, two weeks, it's going to be something like that. If it's like mm-hmm. three or four weeks, then it's not a, like certification. It's more of a production thing and not a development thing is my guess. Uh, Kowloon High School Chronicle, which uh, released last year uh, on Nintendo Switch uh, and originally released in Japan in 2004, but got localized last year as a Switch version. Uh, it is also getting a PlayStation 4 version in the West, releasing on March 18th. So if you didn't play it on Switch and would rather play it on PlayStation 4, it's getting a 
straightforward port there in just a month. Oh, this, so is like an this is like an adventure game dungeon crawler yeah. uh, mm -hmm. from Arxis. Interesting thing here is that this announcement for the PlayStation 4 version is technically Europe only. Like it hasn't been confirmed for North America, which is a little weird. Oh, um, I didn't catch but it, that. Yeah, it's like P Cube is doing the European release, and usually Arxis does the uh, NA release, but they haven't officially announced it themselves. That said, P Cube has like a physical edition that you can buy, and they ship it anywhere. So, yeah, I mean that's how I got that. my physical copy for Switch. Right. I don't need to so, play that. It's like I, I hear was it's going good. To put, yeah, I was going to play it last year, and it's like I started it. It's really, really cool. It's fascinating. But then I mm -hmm. looked up how long to beat for it, and it's like, oh, it's 50 hours long. And it's like, oh. That's a lot. I mean, maybe not for an RPG, but it's... I mean, it's it's a, it's a dungeon RPG. It's a dungeon yeah, the, RPG. It's so hard, hard to just slot in in a weekend. Just when, you know. Yeah. So. so now it'll be available in English uh, on both the Switch and the PS4. Yep. Another indie game that released last year that I don't think we were able to cover is Chernobylite, which is kind of a uh, like an indie survival horror RPG. It originally released for Steam last summer. It had an early access period as well. Uh, it will uh, launch for next-gen consoles at PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series on April 21st, alongside with the enhancements being included in the PC version. So Chernobylite. Uh, I don't know if we'll get around to playing this one, but for those that I played it, it, le it leans a little bit more survival. It. it leans a little bit more survival than RPG, but you know, survival mechanics are kind of they're related Inher inherently like yeah. resource management, which makes it very similar right. to RPGs. I hear it's a pretty good game, you know, if you're into that sort of style in terms of like survival and it's like post apocalyptic, and so mm -hmm. this is something that I. Uh, I think Alexander Seedhouse is the only one that can speak to this. Uh, Warhammer 40k Chaos Gate Damon Hunters is releasing on. Yes, Warhammer 40k Chaos Gate dash Demon Hunters Damon Hunters launching on May 5th for PC. And he is the only Warhammer nut that I really know. So I would have to ask him to like what this game actually is. Uh, but it's like a tactical RPG, like Amish, I think. Um, it has a it has, RPG. oh god what's the guy who did Gollum what's his name it has that guy uh, Andy something yeah Andy Circus. Yeah. yeah he's he's a voice and they advertise that so that's a thing has Andy Circus. alright yes he even introduces uh, the new trailer like, hi I'm Andy Circus. here's a game <laughs> uh, Salt and Sacrifice is launching on May 10th for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, and PC. And uh, this was originally announced last year. Yeah, late, uh, last June. So around the summer, like, Roto E3 period. During, whatever during those E3 period. stream yeah. things, yeah. Yeah, hopefully this does uh, really well. Uh, so Salt and Sanctuary was a really neat uh, game for its time, and I'm really curious how, what a new one of those looks like uh, this year. Salt and Sanctuary was like, what are what 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 are what are the first like soul the, like things that like try to like copy souls in a in a different way? I, I I gather that a lot of people played Salt and Sanctuary on Vita. Is my is what I've oh, gathered. Oh yeah, I can, yeah, I can and see. I, that. And I and I and I've actually seen people like say to the developer here like put Salt and Sacrifice on Vita. Like yeah, I don't care if that's can. not feasible. <laughs> <laughs> Do it. 
I'm sure they would love to if it was still feasible and possible. <laughs> yeah, Sony, um, that just reminds me during Sony's financials, they said, here's how many millions of units we sold for every PlayStation system, except Vita. Don't ask us about Vita. To be honest, if they didn't have that asterisk there, I wouldn't have even like, I, I just forgot that like Vita existed. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have. <laughs> I would have. And the last uh, announcement that I think we have here is the announcement of Disgaea 6 Complete the, from Disgaea 6 Defiance of Destiny, which originally released last year in the West on Switch only. We've talked about a few times on the podcast how it was also on PlayStation in Japan. But now this new Complete Edition, which is launching this summer, will be PlayStation 4, PC, and PlayStation 5. Wait, is the mm-hmm. Switch version not getting Disgaea 6 Complete? It's just it's no. just cosmetic DLC. So you so basically yeah. you get Disguise Six complete on Switch by getting Disguise Six and buying the DLC. Yeah, I've seen a few people complain like they should release this on Switch that just comes with the DLC. Maybe they'll I don't know do something like a gold DLC bundle or something. Or yeah, but right for now it's basically the DLC. What it is, it's some like color change cosmetics, like just like palette swap stuff, but also like various like every main pair of characters from the previous games um, are basically. DLC characters in this one, so they're all included now, well, and some other the, characters. What about the VTuber DLC thing, man? Oh, I don't know about the VTuber stuff. I think I don't know if that's DLC or if that's actually just in the game. No I, don't know, I don't remember. <laughs> now, this wasn't like like the the release date is still just set for summer, but I guess Nippon Ichi announced that the PlayStation Five version, at least in Japan, will launch on June sixteenth. So maybe yeah, that'll be the date, date for the Japan. rest of it. But yeah, a date yep. in Japan specifically for the PlayStation Five version uh, in June. Uh, I'm guessing. I, I think there. it's. I think one of those announcement oddities is that the Japanese version of this announcement does not mention Steam at all, which is a little weird because usually they do, even if it's like later. Yes, time. Yeah, but they didn't. They like the Steam release announcement is only from NES America, even though like the Steam release does say it'll support like Japanese text and audio and everything. That's so just kind of one of those weird oddities. So basically, if you were like the last couple of games that I rattled off and, and adding to the stuff that we already talked about the Nintendo Direct, they're really starting to fill in those March, April, May, even June and September and some nebulous summer, like starting to fill in the year and starting to you know get stuff marked on our calendar. Uh, and we already know that the back end of February is going to be completely packed. So here we are. <laughs> Got to make time for everything. Never going to get around to trying Lost Ark, even though I kind of want to after the discussion today. But yeah, okay. uh, I'm looking at the timestamp. Like we had an hour and ten minute podcast last week, and here we are at the past the three. Thanks, hour mark. Alex. Hijack yeah. the hooking podcast is like, yeah. guess what? <laughs> like, oh boy. <laughs> but also, uh, also the Nintendo for piling so much good shit in their Nintendo directs. But it was really last good. You... Yeah, before before we get out of here, there's one more thing. Just one oh, yeah. more thing. Is there? The, the, I, I yeah, say, the, take it away. The, Babylon's Fall will be having a demo for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4 on February 25th. So whoever wants to get a taste of the future of Platinum Games as a service. Oh, yeah. Um, we kind of uh, talked about it earlier. We weren't sure like what the deal is with uh, Fire Emblem Warriors Three Hopes. Uh, when I was looking up the Japanese name to see what exactly they were calling it in Japan, I came across a news post. I already tweeted about it. You've probably already seen it because it seems to be blowing up already. 
but uh, basically the wording is is that um, it is literally a, another possible route. It's the same world, the same Fallen. It's just another possible story that could have happened. I mean, considering I there are four sense. routes already, it's like, what's the harm in adding a fifth one? Yeah. You know. By the way, just, it, uh, it was the it was the right decision not to have a golden route in that game. I will I will yeah, stand by that now until they, I die. Now they can sell you their the their golden, golden route, route for yeah, six bucks. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just like that, uh, the as soon as Pavlov's fall is mentioned, people want to go back to Fire Emblem, so I don't blame them. So there you go. So yeah, you just hide. You just hijack one of the next podcasts. Like we're now talking about Babylon's fall. I don't know. It's all, exactly. But, all right. Yeah, so if you that's... so if you uh, go to, so if you've made it to the end of this podcast, uh, thank you so much. And I'm sorry, sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah. if you go to the if you go to rpgsite.net right now, the very top heading uh, cover story will be Alex's uh, live alive feature and we also have the elden ring preview and now you'll be able to read amy's take on that along with listening to alan uh, alex's uh, experience with that uh, with the game hands-on uh, we have the pokemon legends arceus review from jess so thank you so much to her for writing that up and you can listen to our previous podcast discussion on that game as well as well as the atelier sophie 2 uh question and answer session that we were able to get from uh from page along with of course all of the news from the Nintendo Direct that we rattled off here. If you want to double check all the release dates or all the specific uh, media and artwork that was released for each of those, uh, you can find us on any of the social media channels, uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at RPG site. You can join our discord, discord.gg slash RPG site. And we have also all the, all the guides up on our main page for Arceus, a few for Final Fantasy 14 and probably not for lost Ark, but they're out there from the original, uh, Korean and Russian releases if you're playing that game and I'm sure we'll be revisiting discussing that on the podcast in the upcoming weeks as people work their way through that uh, thank you so much for listening we will be back next week maybe we'll dive into some more of these topics in a little bit further detail or you know we might be upended by another surprise set of, of news points uh, that we can't even anticipate so we'll see and we'll also start getting into the release windows for a lot of these upcoming uh, February releases that we're looking forward to so until next time, take care, stay safe. We'll see you then. And, uh, and hop on Lost Ark. <laughs>